a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is the show for the week of October 4th, 2010. This is Star Wars Monthly Mondays, number 24. And I am Scott Gardner. And I am Chris Honeywell. And joining us, we have two, count them, two special guests this time around. First up, we have Mr. Josh Lappin-Bertoni. hey uh, Always hey. good to be back on Two True Freaks. Hey, it's always good to have you, man. And also joining us is Shag. The irredeemable Shag would like to know why the hell Josh got introduced first. <laughs> <laughs> Because, man, don't you realize the importance of what's going on here right now, everybody, even the listeners? Let me see. This is like... Oh, I went in like, alphabetical order. That's what it was. The, yeah, this is like the core of the right, the Star right answer, Wars super the right ans- nerds. The, the right answer was you <laughs> saved the most important guest for last. Oh, sure. That's what <laughs> you would like us to say. Hey, guys. How you doing? It's great to be back. <laughs> I think... What, what was the point you were trying to make, Chris? Oh, I'm just saying, you, you know, look, we've got, we, you know, okay, you just sort of off the cuff introduced, you know, Josh. But who is Josh? He's got the only other Star Wars Marvel podcast mm-hmm. in the universe. And now, glop, glop, glopped right together. All right, and then you oh, then you, you throw... guys are so sweet. You're talking the... like I'm producing episodes on a regular basis. <laughs> then, then... <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as you're producing them at all. And then you just throw in the ego of the irredeemable shag and the sheer, I'm sure, computer-like, you know, data files you have on Star Wars, and we're starting to like bend gravity and light here with pure <laughs> nerd power, you know. It's like a nerd black hole of right. information. It's it's like it's like if any woman is within like 500 feet of any of us right now, her sex drive just like drains like. Ooh. 
right down to zero, and she's like, what, what's going on? What was the Time on? Bandits ma- reference you made before we started? Oh, yeah, show? you know, don't touch it. It's pure, concentrated Star Wars. <laughs> it's like a little black <laughs> yeah, lump of that. Star Wars. I love it. <laughs> Mom, well, guys, get, Dad, get your don't material touch before it. We, before we get going, pimp, pimp your stuff, because I know, Josh, you also... I know you do, like, a whole bunch of other stuff, but I know you also do... Um, amazing spider-man classics and i don't get a chance to give you guys enough feedback about that show but i do love it i list, i finally got caught up as a matter of fact you guys kept me company the uh several times i've had to drive back and forth between georgia and florida for our move yeah and, i wanted uh, to talk to you about that could you have uh-huh. turned the ac up a little bit you know during that <laughs> i mean we liked keeping you company but i mean the car was hot and you were sweating it was i know and you guys are cramped in his car with the midgets that are running the flywheel inside <laughs> see that's how scott and i scott and i don't just we just don't listen to podcasts we actually capture the podcasters there you go. And, you know, and just you know, hold them hostage and have yeah, them huh? do the podcast. He had, it's the he collector had me, mentality. John Wilson and Donovan Grant in the car with guns to our heads, and he's like, "Read this book. Tell me it's, what you think. Now make pithy comments. Discuss. Now make it's fun that of collector John mentality. So yell at you. <laughs> it's that collector mentality. If I like something enough, I must possess it. So. Rather than just download all the back episodes, I just went straight to the source. Uh, you know, you know what that progresses to. Eventually, you start carving organs out of all of them to build your ultimate podcaster, and you know we gotta lock <laughs> you up somewhere and put the Hannibal mask on you. <laughs> Michael, Michael Bailey's voice box is next. Does everybody? Yeah. Does everybody know that? Doesn't everybody who know? Who's met or you know even just seen a picture of Scott? Don't you know? Don't you just know in your heart that one day he's going to end up, you know, on a on a push cart, you know, with his arms chained to it and a Hannibal Lecter mask on his face? I've just always known that about you, man. Thanks. I, one, I one day. <laughs> but, but, but to show that I do know how to take a compliment, uh, the, 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 thanks, Scott. And we are looking we are looking forward to having you on, actually, uh, for the Master Planner storyline. That's going to be a blast. Sweet. Did Josh pimp his Star Wars site yet? <laughs> yeah, my Star Wars site, which is currently without a URL because a very, very mean man uh, stole my URL from me when I didn't know it expired. So the Marvel Star Wars podcast, which should be getting a new URL, which uh, when that happens, um, I'll... It will be in the show notes. It was StarWarsMarvel.com, but now I'm very, very mean person owns that site. Who wants to sell me back the site that I built for $300 when I bought it for 10 But that's okay. I'll just buy another one. Uh, there hasn't been some shows out for a while, but I think I might motivate myself now to get one out in time for when this comes out. That way, the people who are listening to this are like, oh, yeah, God, this guy's annoying. Let me listen to his other podcast so I can make fun of him. You'll actually be able to listen to a new episode, cover each issue of the Marvel Star Wars series, which, like I've said, nobody has ever thought of doing that before. Totally original idea, all me. You know, I don't, I don't know why no one else ever thought of something that awesome. Well, it's been good talking to you. Hey, Josh, if I can make a recommendation for a new URL, how about um, kissingyoursisterCanBeFun.com. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite things about these old stories, and it's funny because like uh, there's even that one issue during the Will storyline where they're kissing, and the narration box even says the kiss is clumsy and awkward. 
Yeah. <laughs> More so than you ever knew. <laughs> if Archie Goodwin only knew. <laughs> well, you know, about this guy that, that stole your site, you know, I mean, I got to thinking, you know, you run a Star Wars site, we run a Star Wars site, you know, a podcast, I mean, Star Wars podcasts. One of the most popular things in Star Wars is the bounty hunters. I say we put out a bounty on this guy. Between our, our mutual listening audiences, somebody will take us up on it and, and straighten the son of a bitch out. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And because we're the Marvel guys, we should totally just hire Marvel exclusive bounty hunters like Valance. Yeah, I like oh, that idea. Geez. Or we oh, can that's hire... Right. You don't like Valance, do you? Fenshiza. I like Fenshiza. Yeah, we can yeah, hire. He, he, made, he made it into the books, though, too. Yeah, we can. We can hire those six warriors that Han trained, or no, that the Aduba hates. <laughs> the, the, big Aduba green, the big green rabbit. Yeah, I want to hire those. Too. I want to hire those three assassins that Darth Vader had on the on the. Um, oh God! The one world with Leia. I can't remember what <laughs> world that was. World. Yes, yeah, the, the banking, yeah. the bankers' world. Oh those God! Three guys. <laughs> that was such a stupid issue. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. That was yeah, one of the all-time worst. Yeah, that Thanks was. Now to review that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> that, that, that was actually the last time I spoke to you, Shad, because I I came online after you guys did that episode and like we riffed on it after you were done recording. Yeah, that was horrible. Oh, but I mean, when a big green rabbit busts through your window and says, "Give back a website," you know, you're gonna listen. I mean, it's a big green rabbit. <laughs> and says it psychically through your brain, rather than. <laughs> Verbally, that usually gets people's attention. Shag, and pimp yourself. Oh yeah, baby. Uh, I run a week daily blog called Once Upon a Geek. That's onceuponageek.com. Uh, ramble about anything I feel like, primarily comic books, science fiction, you know, Star Wars, Doctor Who, things like that. Uh, I also run another site dedicated to Firestorm, the nuclear man from DC, because somebody had to. Uh, it's Firestorm. Because he's fan. awesome. Well, thank you. It's firestormfan.com. Uh, that one's only about twice a week, but it's out there, and uh, it's good stuff, especially right now on Brightest Day. Lots to talk about. Does your and brain explode when people go, Firestorm the Nuclear Man? I have a hard time saying the word nuclear, actually. I have to actually pause. I can't say it right for some reason. <laughs> I, I got George Bushism on that. Uh, then you can find me. I'm the semi-regular co-host of Views from the Lawn Box when uh, Michael actually ever puts one up there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm baiting him. See if he's actually listening. Uh, and then uh, I'm everywhere you want to be. Ooh. So you, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, etc. Now Scott's I know you're Scott's bathroom, whatever. <laughs> I know your uh, time is at a premium, but have you ever considered mutating the Firestorm blog into a Firestorm podcast? Check back with me in the coming months, folks, on that Ooh. very question. Ooh. All right. Sweet. Well, you know I want an invite if it, if it comes to fruition. Oh, hells yeah. Because I, I am. I don't talk much about it. I don't think I've ever really said much about it in any of our shows, but I'm a major uh, Firestorm. No. Of course, I'm just a fan of the Ronnie Raymond, um, um, Martin Stein version. Never cared much for the other version, except for when uh, they had the Russian for a while. Yeah. I thought that storyline was pretty cool. But I'm talking like the original 100-issue mm -hmm. Fury yep. of series was, was my thing. I never, I don't think I've ever read the, what was it? The original one was like six issues, I think. It, well, it was five. Um, they, five. Drew, they drew up to halfway through issue number seven. And you can still find those online. 
even on firestormfan.com. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it went five issues officially. Then there was uh, the flash backups and some like DC Comics Presents and Brave and oh, the Bold. Oh, that's right, yeah. JLAs. And then he got the Fury of Firestorm series. And I agree, that's totally the best. I mean, you got uh, it, the first about 50 issues with uh, Jerry Conway writing and then uh, Pat Broderick's Pat art. Broderick, later, yeah. Later on, Raphael Cannon's art. It's great stuff. Absolutely love it. I got a chance to talk to uh, Jerry Conway, actually for like two hours about Firestorm one day. That was really cool. Uh, You can find that at firestormfan.com as well. Gotta love Conway. He's one of the best in the business. He is so freaking nice, too. Oh, my gosh. Such a great guy. Cool. Well, with that... I don't think he ever wrote Star Wars. There's your segue. Jerry Conway? I'm trying to think if... I don't know. I don't think he did do anything Star... I can't remember, though. Off the top Claremont. of my head, uh, I'm typing him into Wikipedia yeah. because, like, if 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 Conway likes if Conway's hairdresser like inked an issue of like a Star Wars 3D comic from Blackthorn, then Wikipedia yeah, will have it. There you go. I, I, I that's what I was trying to think is if there was something you know off the fringes, you know, that non-Marvel or something like that that he may have done. I I really can't remember. It seems like he may have, but I just can't remember. Wasn't or if you go to the or if you go to the edit tab on Wikipedia. By the end of the night, he may have written something. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> um, wasn't it just last episode that we um, that we did Chris Claremont's Star Wars comic? Yeah. Was that last month? Yeah, it was. That, that was uh, the uh, 53 and 54, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because... You know that episode. I think the episode itself, as far as you know, you and I and our and our witty banter and all that, uh-huh. I think made for a very entertaining episode. I think we made a, a fun show out of a total shit story. <laughs> but for anybody that that may have been kind of iffy on us after that one, going, man, that was just terrible. I don't know if I can keep listening to this Star Wars stuff. I'm hoping that we can completely turn everybody around right here because this is the issue, really. Uh, that we're going to cover tonight, number 55. This is really, I think, where this book really takes off and never really lets up for the whole rest of the run. I think from here on out, Marvel Star Wars, with with one or two clunker issues in there, I, I think it's pretty much fantastic from here on out. This this was definitely the era of Star Wars comics that I loved yes. as a kid, Absolutely. and it all starts Absolutely. with this issue. Absolutely. Yep. Quick, quick aside, and you could edit this out uh, if, it, if it just goes off the rails, but I'm curious. When you guys were covering those last two issues, did you talk about when Leia mentions her mother? Because that was actually, like, a really big deal, like, that people have been debating about. I can't remember that in the story. Was I'm that trying in? to remember it, yeah. At well, the beginning uh, well, of one of the issues, she's, like, looking at a picture of Alderaan pre- and post-Holocaust. Right. She's like, oh, father, were you up in the palace or were you sleeping with mother? And there's like a contingent, there's like contingent of fans who are arguing over, you know, did Leia's adopted mother die when she was young, and is that who she was talking about in Return of the Jedi, or who was this mother person she was talking about? If her adopted mother died early, or did was see, there, I wonder why people, I wonder why people debate about it because it's just obvious that they didn't know and they just assumed that she had a mother at that point. You know, that's always what I, I yeah. figure. I just wonder why it's. You know, or you know, the only debate is how can you work? You know, how can you work it into? Uh, how can you retcon it? You know, how can you work it into shape to see if you can make it fit? 
I'll, I'll link fun. you guys later. There's like so, pages of people arguing about it. Oh, I'd love to see it. I, I I'm can, just I wondering, can actually, how could we have missed that? I could see an argument though, where someone where someone could say um, Leia's real mother, being in this case now we know Padme, but back in 1983 was the intention that Leia's real mother did raise her with you know the King of Alderaan or whatever, or was it some sort of you know stepmother or, or adopted mother or whatever? Because I always assumed growing up that Leia was raised by her true mother, like hmm. the mother had lived on and was mar- remarried the guy from Alderaan or whatever. Well, it, it, the adopted mother, you know, the one who raised her, it's actually Jar Jar, Mrs. Doubtfire style. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. I almost did a Danny K. spit take there. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, but but no shag because uh, they because you are right because that was um, a lot of the expanded universe material from before the prequel trilogy, like the source books, the biographies. And the Return of the Jedi novelization, they would say that, you know, after Luke was born, Padme's like, well, guess I can only have one of my kids with me. You go to the desert. Me and your sister are going to live in a palace. And then they, <laughs> and they say that, like, Leia and Padme lived in the palace. I mean, she wasn't called Padme at the time, right. but, like, lived in the palace. And then eventually she passed away, but that it wasn't like, you know, she died in childbirth. And that's what all right. the source material was for a while. I think the Black Fleet Crisis books, if I remember right, the novels dealt with some of that too, because she went on a quest to find out, to find stuff about her mother or something. And of course, it didn't. I thought pan Luke out. did. Vague. Oh, maybe it was Luke. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm just saying. I, I've never read those, but uh, even yeah, dear, back dear from- Lord, will you please get out of the prequel trilogy and start reading some of the classic era trilogy novels, so we can have a real, com- meaningful conversation. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm uh, I'm in the in between period right now, and uh, the one I'm reading at the moment, I'm almost finished with it. It's uh, the Coruscant Knights, uh, the first book. Man, I'm digging it. It's good. It's really good. Is that the PI one? That's something else, isn't it? PI. Which one's the one? The private investigator one. Yeah, that that's the one. But he's, you know, it says that in the in the cover blurb. But I mean, he's not really doing any like PI stuff in the story at all. Oh, okay. So I'm not okay. sure exactly why they why they played up that angle of it because it's really just you know traditional Star Wars where it's you know the Jedi's on the run from you know the the purge basically. Very cool. Looks good. Speak, speaking of which, what did you guys have? All of you guys seen the the first show of uh, season three of Clone Wars? Yes. Not Heck that we yeah. could talk about it too much, but I thought it was awesome. I, I thought the first not. show. I was thinking. I forgot that it was going to be two episodes, and I'm like, this is a very low key show to start out with. And then there was another episode after, and I'm like, ah, okay. Wait, there was. Whether well, it was, uh-huh. it was, or it was, yeah, it was. It was an hour. There were two shows. It was, it was two the, episodes. It was an hour long. Episodes, yeah. Oh, I missed the second one. I'm oh, so, the oh. second one, slam bam, crazy action. It was the, the, good. okay. The one that I saw was the one with uh, the trainees on Camino. Yes, that was That's the first one. one. Yep. Yes, with the oh. with the weird twisted clone. I was waiting for him to turn evil. <laughs> I thought that that like janitor clone was gonna like you know become a bad guy. No, he's like that. Um, I can't remember what the what the literary name is. But Quasimodo. You know, 
Well, you know, he's like the romantic, um, not romantic as in, you know, love romantic, but just the romantic idea of the tragic, you know, twisted creature who's, who's pure at heart sort of thing, you know? He was, a. Uh, it was weird. I thought it was kind of cruel that they, I, I wouldn't think that the Kaminoans would actually keep a, a twisted and and uh, screwed up clone around you'd think he wouldn't have probably made it that far it I didn't had, but, it hey. didn't bother me enough to ruin the episode for me but no. at the same rate it bothered me just a little bit that that does contradict um the uh the Karen Travis things because that's the whole thing with with some of the troopers in her novels some of the people that were Kyle Scarada's sons was that he saved them from the Kaminoans. The Kaminoans were basically going to flush the test tube on them because they considered them failed. Yet this guy was... He's a big time know, actually, fail. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's actually like physically deformed and stuff and it is exactly the sort of thing that you would think that they would just, you know, toss in the trash heap. Yet they kept him around for whatever reason that I don't think was ever really adequately explained. But like I said, it didn't ruin anything for me, but I just thought it was a little bit awkward because I don't see how you would exactly reconcile those two pieces of, right. of continuity, if, if you even can. The Karen Travis novels in The Clone Wars, that's like, there's a very big divide because, I mean, oh, you yeah. heard about what happened. Yeah, I'm sure that everyone on this podcast has heard about what happened. Yeah. But, it's you know. a shame. Oh, had you not? They, I, oh, I'm assuming the the, the difference between been a the shows split. and the books. Yeah, I knew she wasn't writing anymore. Yeah, they uh, basically said your stuff's not canon or something. Or they, 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 it's lots of things, and there's people more versed in the current expanded universe that will be able to explain it better. But she wrote, I mean, she did a lot of stuff with the history of the Mandalorians and their attitudes and stuff, and then George Lucas and, and last season of Clone Wars, and apparently some stuff that's going to happen this season, too, with uh, one of the other squads. He, like, changed Mandalore completely from what Karen Travis had it, uh... and apparently it changed, like, it, it made, like, her next novel that she was going to write not work, and I'm probably jumbling the story up, I'm getting the details wrong, but... She left the EU, and it's it made a big fight among fandom. Like, fandom's really split about it, and there's people who are mad at Lucas. And my attitude is, and I think I said this when we did the Splinter of the Mind's Eye show, you know, the stuff is going to get contradicted, but in the end, there's some writer who always reconciles it, because for crying right. out loud, Boba yeah, Fett was a- this guy named, like, Jaster Mareel for the longest time, who was you know, a wandering journeyman or something, and then Attack of the Clones came out, and that contradicted all that, and life went on. They, they reconciled right. all those continuity errors. Yeah. I mean, she, um, a lot of her Mandalore stuff was done in the later books, The Legacy of the Force, which takes place, like, 40 years later, after right. Star Wars. Um, and I've read those. Those were really good. So I could see why she got bent on a joint. But you're right. Uh, they're going to contradict. I mean, Lucas said it when they did Heir to the Empire. He said, you guys write what you want. But I, I reserve the right to come back later and contradict it. Do whatever and, I want, yeah. Yeah, right. and that's, oh, that's it, fine, you know? <laughs> the second Timothy Zahn book had them unmasking stormtroopers being their clones. Oh, no, these stormtroopers are clones. What are we going to do? This is totally out of the ordinary. Exactly. <laughs> I was actually explaining that to my 10-year-old stepson last night. He was asking me questions about what happened after the Empire fell. I'm like, well, I'm happy to discuss this. Let's talk about it. And uh, I was telling him about the, t- 
I was telling about the Timothy Zahn books. He's like, wow, they had clones. I'm going to tell him about the dreadnoughts and all that. And he was totally wrapped. Yeah, ner- nerd dads don't have to tell their kids where babies come from till they're 30 years old either. It's awesome. <laughs> you get this, you know, you'll be well prepared for that. No, he's, he's By that time, you'll be like, sit down, we're watching a movie. He's, he's seen Lay in the Gold Bikini. I think he's starting to get he's, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what else we got besides. Uh, oh, and, uh, lastly on uh, on Clone Wars, I, I want to throw out a shout out to uh, uh, a new friend of mine, Mark Hammond. He works at uh, the Acme Superstore uh, comic shop near here where I live. What, what's the place that's going to be my new LCS? Oh, um, I okay. heard him say something. We, we were all sitting around talking about uh, Clone Wars the other day and talking about this premiere that came out. And somehow or other, the subject changed to people that continue to hate on Star Wars, particularly the the prequel era Star Wars. And Mark just had a great comment that I thought, man, that's a T-shirt right there. And his comment was, you know, because all these people, you know, that that don't seem to dig on Clone Wars. I, you know, we keep hearing them say things like, well, it's just it just doesn't feel like Star Wars or it's just not my Star Wars. And Mark just flat out said, you know, if this isn't your Star Wars, you suck. (laughs) I think that's great. Because, you know, his point was, look at this, these first two episodes of this season as a perfect example. It's got everything you would want from Star Wars in it. It's got the action. It's got the drama, the intrigue, you know, the, the quick action. It's got all the heroes. It's got lightsaber fights. It's got ship battles, awesome ship battles. I mean, it's everything we well, come yeah. to expect and want from Star Wars. What yeah. is in here that's George, not your Star Wars? George Lucas has become mindful of the living force. And he's been taking the show, or, the, or you know, he, as in Lucasfilm and all the people who are making the show, have been, you can tell... That they're get they're, you know, as they get further on, they're they're getting better at it. They're having more fun with it. They're they're shading it deeper, and you know, and like the action sequences and the fights get more and more interesting and dynamic and exciting as it goes along. As they get better with the 3D technology and are probably upgrading and fine-tuning and it's really exciting to watch you know because usually you have to wait three years and see what they've come up with next now you're watching it in motion you know and you're seeing them go okay you know okay we'll we'll discard this sort of thing and we'll start pursuing it in this way and you know this it's really interesting and fun to watch and i find myself every season getting more and more excited about it you know and every new episode now that i got my little home theater set up in my room now i can watch all the clone wars on my wall like projected big and it's gonna be oh wow awesome that's cool awesome this one this one was really good too because it had the big chunks falling off the starships into orbit the planet and then down into the water and stuff and just uh oh, and just, the battle scenes on Camino are very spectacular and well well now done. Did, did anybody here get a um uh battlefront vibe when the when the troops were storming the platforms in Camino and headed toward the main cloning facility 
because that that reminded me a lot of uh, one of my favorite levels in uh, in the Battlefront video game. See, is the, com- the Camino? To... Yeah, I thought that was excellent. I have I have not played enough to 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 know any better. Like I, I, I missed uh... that second episode, but I remember that Battlefront level, and it was awesome. When you're the stormtroopers and you're fighting the old school clone troopers. And mm-hmm. Boba Fett's leading you. I, I love me some Battlefront. Unfortunately, I have not kept up with Clone Wars. I, I did see the I Sam's car or I Sam's mom iCarly special, but I have missed all the Clone Wars. <laughs> the I the I Sam's mom special. Yeah, you want to go? You want to go on iCarly? <laughs> oh, it oh I can go. It's not a safe place to hate on iCarly, okay? Okay, well, I, I have a question for you, Mr. Shag. How is Spencer, a starving artist who makes sculptures, able to afford an apartment so big? His dad, his dad's on a submarine. He's a Navy okay, guy. Okay, he's on a submarine. That's not like a six-figure income. Maybe he's in charge. And you Even know what? So. Because the guy who plays Spencer is like the funniest guy on TV. Yes, you can tell I have two small children. He is unfit to take care of a teenage girl. Oh, totally. That's why it's awesome. Seriously, <laughs> guys. It's like, it's like the best kids show on TV. It's, it's, uh, I heard Brian uh, Michael Bendis actually refer to it as the modern-day fa- uh, Brady Bunch because it's intelligently written so the whole family can watch it. <laughs> that has nothing to do with Star Wars, though. Wow, nothing it doesn't. at all. <laughs> actually, uh, uh, although you... They did and, have, and I, like, was the, I talking it, about bending light with Star Wars power and stuff earlier? <laughs> they did have a copyright safe Star Wars type ship on like one episode, but it was like called Space Wars or something. But they there were but go. they were talking about Star Wars. <laughs> Joshua, she, she, do you do you, do you have children? No, oh, but I work there with was children. Your actually, <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know all the kids shows. That's why my brain rots if I have to see another, you know, Disney Channel thing or something. <laughs> right. I on. don't care if Hannah Montana is going to choose Jesse or uh, the other oh. guy. I don't care. <laughs> I Carly's when they put on Clone Wars, though, everyone gets along. That and Phineas and Ferb. We rewatched uh, Daddy Daycare the other night, me and my kids and oh, my wife. God. And that movie is so funny. It just, when Timothy's on... Sure Not Timothy's on. Steve's on. Whoops. When Steve's <laughs> on. <laughs> Freudian slip. You almost Steve. made... No, hey, we're trying to make it Star Wars. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm getting there. Well, no, when Steve's on is, is dressed, you know, and all the kids have the, the Jedi lightsabers, and they're beating him up and stuff, and it's hilarious. It's a great Star Wars moment in that film. I haven't seen so, that one. Oh, really? I have to check that out just for that scene now. I won't. There's some you know, there's, there's Star Trek in the movie, guys. There's a kid. There's a kid talking Klingon. There is references to this kid wearing the Flash costume, and they don't call him the Flash. They call him Barry Allen. Um, he's he's again fighting. The, all the kids are attacking him with lightsabers at one point. And he's dressed up a little bit like Darth Vader. It's it's awesome. So anyway, I, let's get I, back. Well, I move it. Yeah, I, I flashed a kid at daycare once. Does that count <laughs> anything like that? There it is. I took us to a bad place. If you need to edit all that out, I understand. No, it's cool. <laughs> oh, no, I'm leaving it in now. Yeah, but baby. No, f- moving That's us forward, said. though, uh, both of you lucky bastards have both been to uh, major and awesome conventions lately that, uh, well, Josh went to Star Wars Celebration 5, and you went to 
Dragon Con. Now, how oh, much yeah. Star Wars was there at Dragon Con? Um, there wasn't a lot of celebrities from Star Wars. I mean, Peter Mayhew was there, as he always is, uh, and a couple other folks here and there. But the majority of the Star Wars element was fan-based. You know, the parade is awesome. You see probably, I don't know, I've, I've never counted, but probably 200 stormtroopers, you know, marching down the street, and Mandalorians, and Gunners, and Tusken Raiders, and Jedis. And I mean, it's just, it's this mob of, of hundreds of people in Star Wars stuff just marching down the street having a good old time and there's panels on Star Wars and stuff um, the lady who plays Ahsoka her name has escaped me but she does the voice of Ashley Ahsoka Eckstein. and she is about the cutest thing on the planet by the way mm-hmm. she uh, she started her own clothing line called there you go. You'll probably have a story about her too then. She started her own clothing line called Her Universe. She was a co-sponsor of Dragon Con this year. She was there at her booth. I went and talked to her for a little while. Just a super nice, super wonderful lady. Um, so that that was, you know, kind of cool to meet her from Star Wars. And um, just, you know, lots of general insanity that Dragon Con always is. So it was an incredible time. Now, I want to hear about Celebration because, damn it, I wanted to go to this thing and just couldn't swing it so tell us all about celebration josh oh yes and scott almost got to go because i was stupid and i was having money problems and i was like you know celebration's awesome but maybe i should sell my ticket so i called scott and i was like would you like to go to star wars celebration and uh scott's gonna lose some of his geek cred but he decided that you know holding on to his money was more important It was killing me, though. It was because when you called me, I was literally I was over on the beach um, between the Grand Floridian and um, the Polynesian. I can't remember what I was doing, but that's that's I was walking like towards the Grand Floridian when you called me. Isn't that where the wedding pavilion is? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. By the wedding pavilion. Yeah. Are you getting married again? No, no, it was it was late at night, and I'm trying to remember where the hell I was going. Uh, but I was just there hanging out. I think that might have been the night I just went and rode the monorail for a while. I can't, I really can't remember. But uh, had a blackout. Josh called huh? me, and Another it was blackout. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that was what, it. I was. What, what was your flash forward? What did you see? But I uh, I wanted to to take him up on that so bad, but it was just you know I just couldn't justify it because at that time I still hadn't secured a job yet all i had was like you know some nibbles that i wasn't sure were gonna pan out or anything and i was just like i just i i just can't justify doing this but it would it killed me to turn you down man i was like oh i wanted to i really really wanted to go and then after seeing all the pictures i've seen and uh i highly recommend folks check out I, I wish i could tell you the episode number but it, it, it it's within the past say four or five episodes um check out ricky briganti's coverage of um both star wars celebration five and um star tours the uh the the shutdown event it was called last tour to endor on his podcast inside the magic he he did excellent coverage of that he actually got to go Thanks to one of his listeners, one of his listeners got him into the Star Tours shutdown event, and uh, he got audio of it and everything. And there's full. Is that description. where they blew it up? Yeah, yeah. I saw a video of that on YouTube. They, they like Darth Vader came out and yeah, and blew With it Boba up Fett, in a pyrotechnic yeah. display. Like seriously? Yeah. Well, you know, they they yeah they dramatically walked out and they were like, well, it's closed now. And then like they walk out, now it's closed for sure. 
broken, you know. Oh my I, God. I had a, as much as I regret missing Celebration, I really, really regret missing Last Tour to Andor because I, I had an opportunity to go. But Disney, in my opinion, they they miss, um, they just kind of like mishandled the promotion for it. Or, or they just, here, here was the deal is that I, I went to um, the Hollywood studios one day and they had this really cool billboard that, you know, there's this billboard as you go into the, the front entrance, it's off to the right hand side and it changes frequently with whatever promotions are going on. And I'm walking in and it was the last tour to Endor billboard. And I was like, Oh, that sounds really cool. So, you know, I looked it up online when I got home that night and the, the um, website told you nothing except that it was going to be, you know, at this special event, this special time, and that it was $75. And that's like all it said. It didn't tell you what you you got for your 75 bucks. And I thought, you know, I love Star Wars. I love Star Tours. I'm going to miss this thing when it shuts down. I'm really looking forward to the new one. However, you know, when I went to the park that day specifically to ride star tours for what I figured would probably be my last time on the original one. I mean, it was a friggin' walk on man. There was nobody in that line. I mean, I walked into the queue, hung out in the queue for a little while just to kind of suck in some atmosphere and then walked onto the ride. When I felt like it, there was nobody there. So I thought I'll be damned if I'm going to spend 75 bucks to go do something that was a walk-on and sure enough it was like the star wars thing that went on because all of like the voice characters from clone wars were at this thing george lucas showed up mark hamill showed up that's, uh, that's why that's anthony why. daniels showed up and i was like oh son of a bitch i really it's like it's like how they would market raves, you know. That's just a, when it's something secret like that. Yeah. It's usually when they're gonna do all that stuff, you know. That and they don't say it, so it doesn't go crazy, you know. They had a special one-time. Well, I guess they they showed it actually more than one time, but you know, just one night only special presentation of um, the Indiana Jones epic stunt spectacular, but it was a version that was a mashup of Indiana Jones and star Wars. And it was, I'm trying to remember the name of it, it was like Indiana yes. Jones and the Raiders of the lost Jedi temple or something to that effect. And I've seen video of that and it looked really, really cool. You know, so I really regret not going, to, I still don't know, you know, if I really, I probably couldn't have afforded it, even if I had known everything that was going to be happening, but I think I would have tried my best to, beg borrow or steal the money to go to that if i'd known you know like you know mark hamill and george lucas and all these other folks are going to be there plus you know just some of the some of the you know quote-unquote minor stars that were there like uh like james arnold taylor you know i got to see that guy before when i went to star wars weekends last year but i didn't get to actually meet him and the opera you know this seemed like it was the kind of event that was small enough where you There's probably a specific them. chance, yeah, that you could at least get to shake their hand or whatever. And I would have liked that because, man, I'm telling you, uh, of all the the talented people I've ever seen, that guy's freaking amazing, man. I mean, because he's just this little tiny David Spade looking dude. And he can, at, at the drop of a hat, 
switch his voice so completely that it, it's incredible to think that it's one guy doing all these voices like Johnny Test and Fred Flintstone and Obi-Wan Kenobi and Plo Koon and all these. It's really pretty cool. It's really pretty neat when when he does, when he goes into his act like that. Uh-huh. Oh, Josh, did you want to talk about uh, Celebration? Yeah, Celebration. Well, Scott's loss was my gain. Everyone's loss was my gain. I couldn't sell the tickets, and I guess I was partially relieved because it was like, well, since I can't do, since I can't be responsible with my money, I guess I'm going to have to, you know, go to this thing that I got the ticket yeah. for. And I had a blast. It was, uh, I'm. It was very, very cold because all the tourists were complaining about Florida being too hot. It's too hot. So like, once you get in, it's like 40 degrees inside the convention center. Although you know you have people in stormtrooper outfits, but man, I was, I went to as many panels as I can, and there was some great stuff. You know, Dark Horse was there, and they were talking about all the comics that were going to be coming out, and that was pretty exciting. They're going to be doing Crimson Empire three, and. Uh, uh, John Jackson wow. Miller was there talking about Night Errant, and he had somebody dressed oh. up as like uh, she was. This girl was dressed up as uh, the, the the character, and she was going around, and there was like contest to take the best picture of her for Twitter. I mean, the whole thing was very interactive, and you know, and you can ask the questions. And it wasn't that crowded because I had just gone to San Diego a few weeks before for Comic Con. That was crowded. This was crowded, but not as much. You know, like the lines weren't as bad. It was getting in. That was the problem. And because for some reason they only let everyone in through one door. But the costumes were great. And if you don't have money, this place is torture because there's so many old toys there that you just want to buy and so much awesome merchandise. It would be torturous for me. Just a question about the Dark Horse stuff, Josh. Um, did they ever reveal, or is any maybe you know online, why did Star Wars Legacy got canceled? It's been a big hubbub. It got canceled, and as far so, as I know, they're going to do like a mini series to wrap it up. But from what like, I understand, sales were pretty good, and no one is coming forward to say why it was canceled. And uh, Ostringer, I don't know if he's put out or not, but I mean, I, I feel bad for the guy because he was writing a, a pretty good selling comic, and then poof, they canceled it. They're doing some sort of retooling across the line with their Star Wars property, and I don't profess to to understand it yet. I don't know that they've even come out fully and said exactly what the retooling is, but I had kind of the same reaction with Clone Wars, which I understand was not really a very good seller, but at the same rate, you've got a hit TV show. I mean, the talk amongst geeks... You know, as far as a really good, solid geek show on television, and you cancel the comic that goes with it, you know. So well, here's yeah, the I, thing: is yeah, someday that comic could be cut. It could get really hot property, and then all of a sudden the back issues are a big deal too. So sometimes you know it might not necessarily have to be such a huge seller, you know, right? To be useful down the line. Now, Josh mentioned uh, John Jackson Miller. I'm pretty sure that he's the guy that's uh, got an interview um, right toward the very back of the current issue of uh, Star Wars Insider, where they asked him um, what was his like it's like ten or twelve favorite like non Star Wars comics of all time. Rate number one, Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I was like, okay, I like this guy. He's he's pretty awesome. cool. 
Yeah. And the guys that uh too old to grow up, they uh they interviewed him. When was that, Chris? That was a while ago now. Remember that episode? Because I think I was on God. the other half of that episode, remember? They interviewed him for like half the episode, and then I think I joined them to talk some Star Wars in the other half of the episode. Well, I believe that was over over a year ago. Was that over a year ago already? I think maybe, so. it, maybe it was. It was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, that was the yeah. guy they were talking to because they talked all that stuff, the legacy and all that, and it sounded really interesting stuff. Or no, they were talking um, the other end of the scale. They were talking the Old Republic stuff with him. I think mm. it's the same guy. Isn't that the same guy that he did all the, the Republic stuff? Gosh, oh, I God, hope I don't know. Guy. Don't yeah, know. I... I I wish I would have had like a thousand dollars to spend there. There was just so many awesome like toys and other stuff. And one of the vendors there had a deal like uh, a do- I think it was like seventy or fifty percent off of any of the Star Wars Marvel comics. So I picked up one of the ones that I was missing for uh, a buck. Oh it's, man! Uh, the, it, it, it's the one where it's uh, Shira's origin story, where it's Star Vader on the cover. Luke Skywalker, I've come for you! Shit! It's one of the best issues. The costumes were great, and um, um, Chris can use this in the album art or whatever thing if he wants, but I took a picture. There was a guy uh, named Jason Taros. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Jason. He was dressed up as Jet Jedediah. And I, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, that is so awesome and so obscure. And I woke up to him, and I'm like, there is no way that he's dressed up as Jedediah. This is I must. He must be like a... Clone Wars character or something. I'm like, hey, who are you dressed up as? He's like, oh, I'm a guy named Jedediah from the Star Wars comics uh, from Marvel. You probably haven't heard of him. I'm like, oh my god, that's who I thought you were. And he said only two people recognized him the whole convention. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. I love that, because th- th- that's so obscure. The more obscure, the better. At Dragon Con last year, and I mentioned this last time I was on the show, there was a guy as Boba Fett but he was Boba Fett from the holiday special, the 1978 holiday special. Yeah, you sent me that awesome picture uh, of that, so I, just, which I, I love was it using when, as an avatar for a while. <laughs> I love it when people go for that obscure stuff. So, yeah. Sorry, Josh, there go was, ahead. No, no, it, it's it's cool. Everyone jump in when you want to. It's uh, God knows I do. <laughs> uh, there I, was I someone went. dressed up as... Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead, Josh. There was someone dressed up as uh, Lumaya who, you know, I mean, we could, oh, she was kind of Marvel oh, exclusive. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, I think all of you are my friends on Facebook, except for Chris, you know, who unfriended me after I slept with his wife. But <laughs> I'd, like to be spe- I'd like to be specific. I mean, we're connected on Facebook, but I wouldn't really so, call us friends, Josh. No, no, I wouldn't. Oh, that's I'm not harsh. married anymore. <laughs> Nobody's so, seen my wife in a long time either. I, I am version, sorry to hear that. Which version of Lumia was it? Was it like the early version or like the cool Will Sportaccio version? Hold on. It wasn't the early version. It, it was the – hold on. Let me uh, – I'll put the link in the chat window and all those listening on the podcast who can't see it will cry a little bit because we're talking <laughs> about the but, but we can put it in the, in the, in the show notes that uh, – Chris, you do the show notes, right? Sure. Yeah, put it in there, no, damn there, it! Yeah, no, there was lots of awesome stuff. I love the costumes, and whenever I saw a Marvel costume, I always like tried to take a picture. And th- there was there was a guy dressed up as Barf. That was awesome from Spaceballs. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. His own best friend. 
By the way, Dragon Con, there's an like an eight foot Chewbacca. This guy is unbelievable. Yes, I, I believe we saw him when we were yeah. there last yeah. year. He, he's, he's been coming for the last couple of years. That is the greatest costume. Now, the biggest deal in sell, I, I couldn't go to last tour, the Endor, because that was like another 70 bucks that, had, I mean, again, I was trying to sell my ticket earlier that week. I could not justify spending 70 bucks to for last tour, the Endor. I'm hoping that a buddy of mine will get his job at Disney so I can get him for free one day, but Disney's got to call <laughs> yeah, my buddy back. that would be handy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I put the link in the chat window if you guys want to see uh, which version That's of Blue so it was. That's so freaking cool! I know. That is awesome. And that is that's totally the Will Sportaccio version because all the crazy lines on her torso and stuff. Right, right. That's so awesome. Yeah. Cool. The biggest deal was was like when George Lucas came to talk to John Stewart and apparently like people were lining up like the night before to watch that and I was like, Ugh, I you know, just to be in the main room, but they were showing it in every single room of the convention, so I just watched it on one of the TV rooms and uh the scene that everybody has heard about, which was shown, uh, George Lucas announced Star Wars on Blu-ray and showed one of the new scenes that he'll be adding for a special, special, special edition. Or I guess, well, what are we now? Star Wars version 4.0, maybe, or something? <laughs> I think, something I think like they just that. call it the specialer. The specialer edition. <laughs> Star Wars, the short, the short bus edition. Uh, the scene is. of Luke Constructor. <laughs> It's uh, it's Darth Vader and uh, it's it's on bootlegs everywhere. But I mean, it's on YouTube, it's off YouTube. But Darth Vader's walking down the hallway of uh, the second Death Star, and he goes into his meditation chamber, and he calls out Luke. And then you see uh, in in a cave on Tatooine or Obi Wan's hut, this little cleft chin <laughs> under un, under uh, under a Jedi robe. Is it Luke? Is it not Luke? You know that's been the debate online. And he's building his new lightsaber. He activates it, and the crowd goes wild. And then uh, standing in the background is three PO just staring at the Tatooine sun. I th- I think it's bogus. I think what they did was they filmed it. I think they took uh, a shot of Mark Hamill from Return of the Jedi, and CGA dumped it on the face of some guy who, who sat there and did that scene. I think it's a new scene. I think it's a composite. I think they had footage of Mark Hamill, and they might have composited it up. It was it was very. It didn't have that feel to it. Now here again, I'm watching. I was watching through someone's you know cell phone capture off a, off a wall at an angle, but it 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 seemed it seemed like maybe it. What what made it not seem real to me was when Darth Vader was calling to Luke the way it was dubbed so cleanly it seemed like maybe it was something they had parsed like maybe it shot the scene with Luke and 3PO maybe and then hacked together the shots of Vader from scenes that they had cut out or you know with combination of CGI to sort of put it into context but it it definitely had seemed like it had been messed with a little bit, but just about anything that's coming out of Lucasfilm, Star Wars is going to be messed with a little bit. Is going to have some sort of layer of computerness over it, so it's hard to tell. Um, I don't have a Blu-ray player, so I'm not getting the. And I just I don't know if I can ever justify buying Star Wars again. <laughs> Even though I have it, I mean, literally, I have it, and I have like Super 8 films of it. I've got the laser disc, uh, several VHS versions. You know, I've got the the um, 
the DVD versions and the DVD versions of the ori- with the originals on them. Yep. And so you know, I'm I'm good for now. And uh, <laughs> you're in it. <laughs> you're yeah. in it for quite a bit there. I mean, I've seen I, I've seen somebody had downloaded the bootleg of the high definition that they showed on HBO. They showed all six movies in high definition on HBO. And somebody somebody taped them in high definition and put them up as torrents, and they were like twenty five gigabytes a piece. They were you know huge you know bigger than I could want to stick on a hard drive. But you know I knew somebody who did had a large enough hard drive that they had, and we were watching Empire on um, on HD. And boy oh boy it looked good. It did look good. So the Blu-ray will probably look really good. Can you see like the boogers and Hobby's nose? Or? You could see the um, porous nature of the of Yoda's skin. It actually made Yoda look like you could see the rubber. You know, you could see he was uh, latex rubber. Wow. You could see this that it was sort of painted over latex rubber. It was so clear. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't doubt that. Since then, they've probably maybe even blurred it up a little bit in some places to to fix that sort of stuff. Cause it was it, but it was just incredibly sharp, clear, and amazing. And he had one of those players on his uh, PC where you could blow up parts of the screen, mm-hmm. which was always fascinating. Cause you know you would blow up a little tiny area of the screen, and what you should see normally is just a moving blob. But you would see a crystal clear image of like a plant just sort of sitting there moving in the breeze a little bit or you know it was really amazing high definition so the blu-ray will probably be beautiful sounds like uh princess lay in the gold bikini time oh yeah time to start blowing blowing stuff up like that because i i know i know scott and i probably sat with the rewind and fast forward as kids going come i i know it happened i know it happened (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, or Leia jogging down the hallway of the first Death Star in the in A New Hope. Well, I had when 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 they re-released the the, the original Star Wars movies. My friend Ken swears he's just like when we went there. When we went there, he's just like I hope they leave the side boob in. And I'm like, what? And he's like, there's one scene you can see when she holds her arm up. You can see right up her sleeve, and you can see a little side boob. And I swear it's there, but you can't see it on video. You need to see it on the big screen. And he would, you know, as the scene got close in the movie theater, he got, you know, he was perking up and here it comes, here it comes. And sure enough, he was right. Yep. Just a fraction, fraction of a second. But he had that, that fine tuned pervy mind. Ula too. <laughs> it's, well. it's after the, uh, it's after the trash compactor. <laughs> yes, it is. Standing in the hallway. Cause she like, she like, like props up her boobs a little bit and then she straight she lifts her arms up over her head to straighten her hair and you can see straight down that big puffy sleeve yep i know exactly the scene he's talking about ula has a nude scene too i gotta i gotta go for a minute i'll be back in exactly (laughs) (laughs) you, you guys know about the ula nude scene too right i do chris said he didn't know about this until recently i don't know what you're talking about I think it's when like um, Jabba's tugging on like her to come closer, and she's pulling back. I I, I think you see uh, you know something for about a second. Yep. From what I understand, and and they never took it out. Oh, of any of the that's reports. right. 
That's huh. right. Uh, Scott's always yes. I'm gonna have to. I'll, I'll check that out. Yep. Scott, where do you fall on the whole? Um, is the new scene fake or real thing? I, I haven't seen it. Um, my guess, without having seen it, so this will tell you, you know, how how much BS this is. But my guess is that it's probably ninety five percent real because there were a lot of sh- scenes shot for both Empire and Jedi that wound up on the cutting room floor for one reason or another. I know that I've seen stills from that scene. And like you had said earlier, um, you know, the scene was fully scored because it is on the soundtrack on the, the two disc special edition soundtrack, even though the scene, you know, isn't in the actual movie, which tells me it was filmed enough that it was projected in the scoring stage for John Williams. Williams. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it, it had to be fairly complete for that to happen. They don't do that for, you know, sketchy stuff that's not intended yeah, that's to wind up. As, yeah, exactly. So yeah, Williams and the, uh, the London Symphony Orchestra don't come cheap. So, you know, that wasn't something that was just slapped together in case, you know, this rough cut was going to wind up in the movie. This was something that was complete enough that it was actually scored, and then for some reason it was dropped, you know, for who knows what reason. The reason I had heard was that they just felt like it was not necessary, like it slowed up the pace of the just, film. Yeah. More. Plus, it um, revealed Vader earlier in the movie, or Luke Luke and Vader earlier in the well, movie. Well, no, 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 Vader was already revealed. He's revealed in the first scene. Oh, right shit, the, that's right. right. Yeah. Top, yeah. It, it must be Luke then. Supposedly, yeah. the sequence of the scene is after he says the Emperor's not as forgiving as I am, this is what happens next. He goes down the hallway, then he calls out to Luke, and then it's Luke building his saber, and then right. talking to R2, and then the next scene is R2 and 3PO. Of course I'm worried, and you should be too. Poor Lando you know Calrissian. What? I think it would have worked. I wish they had left it in there because I never really, even though I, you know, I'm very good at filling in the gutters in movies, you know, I I always go to the movies with the assumption that your average moviegoer is a complete moron. So I always wondered what did people that, well, say your average viewer that's like the parent that gets dragged to the movie because the kid wants to go see it. How did the parent feel watching that scene and going, wait a minute, didn't Luke get his hand cut off and lost his lightsaber in the last movie? Now, where the hell does this green lightsaber just pop out of R2-D2? So, you know, were they thinking that maybe R2, like, manufactured this inside his head and then (laughs) shot it out? You know, I think that scene was necessary to show where the lightsaber actually comes from. I I really wish that they had left it in there. But I think the reveal of Luke at Jabba's feet... You know, you don't see Luke's face until he pulls the hood back in front of Jabba. I think that's more effective from a film. That is, point. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, way but, more Yeah, but dramatic. it's not like you saw his head there, too. You just saw the cleft chin. I you could tell it was him. Well, I guess you were in the audience, well, weren't you? Yeah, I was in the audience. Yeah, well, it was a cleft. I mean, it was kind of dark, and but, I mean, he, he's in the shadows. I would not consider that a reveal. I mean, it's the same as when he was talking to Bib Fortuna and the Gamorrean guards. The the big thing that people are saying is that I guess in uh, Comic Con 2009, Mark Hamill said that the scene had never existed. But this was 1983. Maybe he filmed yeah, it. You know, almost 30 years ago. You know, 
Or maybe maybe George pulled him aside and said, dude, say it's in the movie. And Luke goes, okay. Or Or maybe it's something that he did over almost 40 years ago, so he forgot. Because even before this thing happened in Orlando, even before... 30, 30, 30. We're not that that old, dude. He filmed it in 80... Filmed in eighty two probably. Yeah. Okay, but well wouldn't that be Do the it's, math. it's almost okay, yeah. Whatever. Almost okay. thirty. <laughs> I, I, I film that forever. Chris, you can put in some like, you know, done sound effect here or something. What year were you born, John? We're, we're just sensitive hey, about it because we're all like around we're You were born around. after Return of the Jedi? I was born after Return of the Jedi. Hang the fuck up on this guy. <laughs> see, see, I'm 42. So when you start saying for, it's like, yeah, you start, you, you start like touching all it, our old man yeah. buttons. Yeah, that's right. That's I, I re- sure. that sounds really inappropriate, actually. Let's. What was let's it like? What was that. it like with, with the dinosaurs? But, uh, but okay, <laughs> exactly. so Mark Hamill doesn't remember this. But even before this thing happened in Orlando, there's been other interviews and stuff with like you know the key grip or something where like other people have remembered this scene. It's talked about enough. And I, I wish I would have known I was going to be in a debate because I would have brought actual like evidence. I'm just going by memory of what I've read in other places. <laughs> but enough people have talked about this scene that I think that it exists and maybe Mark Hamill just didn't remember it. It's possible. That, I mean, because look oh, at sure. his part okay. in that scene um, was like, you know, 10, 10 seconds long. He activates a lightsaber and like, you know, looks off into the distance. Maybe he no. didn't remember doing that. Okay, you no, using that me... same using that same defense of lots of people remember it, um, that would validate that Elvis is still alive in Las Vegas. Okay, what? but maybe the key grip for <laughs> Lucasfilm maybe the key grip for Lucasfilm, you know, is a lot more credible than, you know, some drunk redneck who thought that they saw Elvis. Or maybe the key grip's just desperate to, uh, you know, for popularity. Considering the last time he worked was um, not forty years ago, but twenty-eight. You guys <laughs> ever met any key grips? <laughs> I, I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was actually the key grip. I'm just using it as an example. Yeah, like yeah. people from the production have talked about this scene existing, right, and right. it's in. It's well, about the people the in the production are probably going to remember school. it more than the actors are going to remember it. That's for sure. Now, yeah. let me ask you something. In this scene, I know that the scene is – it takes place in Kenobi's uh, homestead, but do we actually see any of Kenobi's stuff? No, you just see the doorway yeah. out. You just see the – you don't know it's Kenobi's till really till you see the doorway out into tattooing, and then it just sort of oh, – you okay. assume it's Kenobi's place because well, you're looking we- out the front door. We all know it's Kenobi's place yeah. because you know we've read it in different things or right, Shadows right. of the Empire or whatever. Right. So yeah, and but this is, just, it doesn't have to contradict Shadows of the Empire, by the way, because people are already saying, "Well, now Shadows of the Empire is in continuity because Luke pulled his lightsaber and Obi Wan's going to be in that book." Like, hmm. okay, but we can always say that maybe he went back and did the finishing touches on the lightsaber now. Well, maybe they, it was it, faulty yeah. or something, so he's if, building it. So it it could still work in continuity. If they filmed it, there's paperwork on it. You know, there's, right, there's, yeah. they, 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 they kept a complete log of everybody. You know, they planned it all out and like there it was scheduled with who had to be there and what electricians had to be there. Somewhere there's a file somewhere that has, well, there ha- you know, I mean, that has the number of the you know film reel that they pulled out to 
to put on the the Blu-ray. So I mean, I mean, ultimately, could... why is this oh. such a big deal for people? I mean, it's I a, know. it's a, it's a new scene. I mean, who cares if it's brand new or if it's all CGI? Because it up. helps fill podcasts it's... with lively <laughs> conversation. Exactly. <laughs> but, and it goes back. To Did the you guys know that the new the lightsaber was supposed to be blue originally? I wish it had been actually. Nah, I never nah, liked nah, the... it's. it's, it's it's in the old trailers, like, you know, uh, for Return of the or at that point, Revenge of the Jedi, that it was blue. Yeah. Like, you see it, but they said that it didn't work against the uh, skyline of Tatooine. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Green works yeah. much That's better, why they though, just, I think it's just, it's nice, you know? In fact, I, never I I'm did really like the green one, I have to be honest. I, I never liked Luke with the green. I mean, I don't mind a green lightsaber as a, as a concept. I just never liked Luke with a green one. I always thought... There was there was something Luke cool. Luke was more about... of a summer color sort of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I never liked uh, with the prequels on how they limited the lightsaber colors because in the books prior to that, you know, pretty much any color you could have a lightsaber of. And then when they pretty much came out and said, you know, well, good guys have yellow, or, I mean, have blue and uh, blue and green, and one guy gets purple. I mean, that's it. Sorry. Yeah, where are the yellow ones? I want exactly. To know? When, when I was playing, I loved that game, uh, Jedi Knight Two. Yeah, remember when that uh, game Je- came out and it made a big splash? Jedi Knight Two, Jedi Outcast. It that is, was it. I still yeah. play it. It's so good. Yeah, it is. It's a great game, and you had the full Roy G. Biv choice on uh-huh. lightsaber colors. And I liked, I don't know what it was about the, the yellow one, but I thought the yellow one just, it looked cool. Well, you know and why it, you like, you know why you like the yellow one. <laughs> the action figure. The, the very first Luke Skywalker action figure had a yellow that's lightsaber. That's right. That's, oh my God, how did I forget that? You are it absolutely right. It out of his arm. I love exactly. that. I keep waiting at Dragon Con to see some guy dressed up as Luke carrying a yellow lightsaber. And or have, I, I, what, you know what would be? You know what? We gotta make somebody. We gotta make a costume for somebody. The Luke Skywalker action figure. That's what I'm talking about. Well, yeah. where he? No, where he actually has like a big like sort of peg coming out of his arm, and you slide it forward, oh. and a clumsy <laughs> and a clumsy sort of bent lightsaber comes comes out of a hole in like his fake hand. You right. know, and and he has very vague features. You know, you make a very vague. I would love. Oh, those old classic Star Wars figures. Somebody needs some to be great... that, and then the other person can be hydrocephalic Han Solo. Right. Remember, they had the two different Han Solo heads. One looked yes. like John Graw, and then the other one had the had the great big ginormous hydrocephalic. The, the wave, yeah, un- badly proportioned head. Yeah. yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, well, take us take us home on celebration. What what have we cut? What have we interrupted you with so bad that you got to finish telling us? Oh no, 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 this is this is good. This is this is like a Star Wars brainstorm. I mean, if if I if I wanted to talk about celebration and do it justice, that would be like a two hour podcast in and of itself. Trust me, but. It sucks that they don't do it yearly. It sucks that we're probably going to have to wait three years. It sucks that the one year it was in my backyard, I had to have a cold half the time, and I had to have almost no money, so I couldn't, like, take advantage of it. But, I mean, it, I, I hope that they come back to Orlando, and I hope that they don't wait until 2013 to do it. I was just going to ask let's... that, because my understanding is that this thing's going to be like the Olympics, right? And it's going to be in a different city every time, because it pisses me off that it was right here. And I missed it, you know. So I, I'm I'm with you, brother. I hope it's back here soon. Let's make a pact. If it comes back to Orlando in in three years, we all do everything we can to be there together. Yeah, that sounds Absolutely. good. 
Absolutely. This sounds like the beginning of like a buddy movie or something. That's right. <laughs> We're gonna like a big road this, this, trip and yeah, cars and break like, down halfway. We'll have to take like you know a hot air balloon the rest of the way. And one of planes, us is like a planes, cor- trains, is a and land speeders. <laughs> one of us is a corporate douchebag, and the other yeah, one that's like me. that's me. Like, okay, one of us and is a all- wasted out hippie. <laughs> that's you, Chris. That's, that's you, Chris. You. <laughs> And then at one point, like, you know, like, we get into an argument and you've changed, man, or like... Yeah. And then one of us is, like, mostly, like, held on to the path. Maybe the problem is that you didn't change, and... And then I make Shag smoke a a joint and he realizes the the folly of his ways and then he gets me dressed up in a suit at the end and I get a job and... Perfect. Oh, that's totally... I'm living this already, guys. (laughs) It's like Fandango. I'm living it. I love that movie. I didn't even know it's anybody else in the whole world had ever heard of that movie. It's so good. It's, it's the it's the greatest John Hughes movie that wasn't made by John Hughes that no one knows. That nobody ever heard of <laughs> from that time period. It's a great what movie. It's, uh, Fandango. It's a buddy movie. From it's everything you just the described, 80s. Josh. It's very 80s. Yeah, it's very 80s style. It has one character who's basically passed out through just like ninety percent of the movie. He's just like curled up in the back That's of their car. Awesome. I love it. They th- what are they? They're, they're taking yeah. They're taking their. They're, aren't they going to to um, Mexico to to visit Dom yep. that they've buried up in Mexico before one of them gets married. One one's getting married and the other one's uh, supposed to go to Vietnam. And, oh, that's uh, right. Yep, and so they go on one last road trip, and it's it, it's exactly everything you described. You know, some have changed, some have grown up, some are clinging to the past. One's a corporate douchebag. It's perfect. Yep. you know, it's it's awesome, and it is hilarious. One of us is going to be like marrying like a complete shrew or something. There's the there's a there's an awesome there's an awesome like um got pilot who flies him from one place yes. to the other. Who's all you know the the hippie leftover with his. Ragtag airplane, World War Two leftover airplane. It's Kevin Cosner and Judd Nelson, and it was That's filmed. Right. I think it was filmed right after Breakfast Club was filmed, but bef- before Breakfast Club was re- it was after it was filmed, but before it was released. I think is when it was filmed. Uh, so you know, Judd Nelson still wasn't explosively huge at that point. There's a guy who's actually reading comic books through the whole thing, so there's a geek you know touch there. It's uh, well, anyway. this is how this is how we'll. <clears throat> when we make the movie version of us going to, you know, to Star Wars celebration, that's how we'll pitch it to the studio. It's Fandango meets Star Wars, and they'll be like, "Oh, it's what Fanboys!" The fuck is fa- oh, <laughs> there it is. Because Fanboys is a road trip movie. It's Fanboys, but with different people. That's all you need to say in Hollywood anyway these days. <laughs> Fanboys anyway, Two, Electric Boogaloo. That's uh, what Kyle Newman was there. He, uh, I went to one of the panels. He talked about why we need to all of the prequels. I don't like the way that he put it, though. Um, he said, so, you know, uh, Kyle Newman, director of Fanboys, uh, he was he did a panel there with uh, the guy from uh, Star Wars Examiner. And, I mean, I agree with some of the stuff that they said. I don't like how they said it. Kyle Newman basically said that if you're liking the Star Wars movies and if you don't like three of the movies, you're giving Star Wars a 50% grade and that's an F. And you're not a real Star Wars fan if you gave Star Wars a bad grade. Well, whatever. Like, that's just we don't getting say, into like was, saying your was that the Chewbacca defense? Is invalid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like let's say, let's say you're a Star Wars fan in 1977. You liked the movie. You saw it 900 times. You bought all the posters and toys. You did the same thing when Empire came out, 
And then you did the same thing when Jedi came out. You bought all that stuff, and then all of a sudden, you know, the prequels came out, and you didn't like those three movies. Well, you, that means that you gave Star Wars a 50%. Does that mean that you're not a fan, that you didn't buy all those posters and toys and comics and books and stuff? Yeah, well, I don't think so. And it also mean it doesn't mean that like all that stuff gets if say you don't like the the prequels that it ruins the other movies, you know. I mean, it might for some people, but it really shouldn't, you know. I mean, life's too short to have something that you treasure get get ruined somehow by something outs, you know, outside of it like that. I don't know. I never understood that whole you know, the whole melodrama of it. Exactly. It's like saying just because Star Trek the motion picture sucked, and it did, oh, just because oh, of that, oh, you're not a real Star Trek oh, fan. Oh, 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 I think I just, I think oh. I just gave so many an aneurysm. Oh, why, not me, man. Why do you have to stick your hand into that hornet's nest? Scott, oh, are you still breathing? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. He's here. He's just writing. He's just now. On the other hand, Kyle did have some good points. You know, Kyle had some that there's some people who like hate the prequels with a passion and like spend a lot of time and energy to like, you know, like trying to destroy its very existence. So yes, I could agree that like, you know, maybe that's crossing some lines of fandom. And I mean, Faye, you know, if you're listening out there, Kyle, feel feel free to send us some emails and debate. I'm not saying that that you're wrong or that you know you suck. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying you know I agree with some of what you said. I don't agree with all of how you put it. Some of the great the the, the red letter media guy who does the he did the reviews of um of the prequels and he did the, a review of all the Star Trek films, including just recently the new Star Trek film. And they're like hour-long reviews of each movie. And he does not like the prequels at all, and he tears them apart very hilariously. I mean, that just the fact that the prequels spawned that wonderful work of art is a testament to how great they are, even <laughs> if he's making fun of how bad they are, you know? And, and I don't know. And I enjoy those, too, and, and I enjoy the prequels, and I can enjoy somebody critiquing them, you know, as long as it's done good you know there's times when it can get well you know i mean as long as it's not boring or tiresome but you know when people are just griping about it it can get tiresome really Mm -hmm. really fast i was just very heartened last year when we were at dragon con on that clone wars panel as soon as somebody would start harping the majority of people would seem to just sort of either blow them off or counter it with well you know life's too short you know mellow out you know, Lighten in, up, in, Francis. <laughs> in regard to those like um, people that the, the hardcore haters, you know, I, I don't get it. A buddy of mine really summed it up well, and I'm going to bring it back to Star Trek again for a second. When it, he he drew the the difference between Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans, Star Wars fans get so uptight, of, and and we're ones of them. So you know, we're taking the blame on ourselves here. Get so uptight of fitting every piece into continuity, making every piece works, and how they're interconnected. Where Star Trek fans are looking here going, okay, we've got William Shatner over here writing books on his own. We've got the comics doing their own thing. We've got the movies that contradict each other. Whatever. Who cares? I picked a part of Star Trek I like, and that's that. And right. it doesn't bother the Star Trek folks. They don't freak out as much as Star Wars folks do. And, and that's a major difference, and that's something the Star Wars people could really take to heart. You know, Just find the niche you love. Love it. 
and don't yes. let the other stuff get to you. And if you don't like the other stuff, then don't read it. There's plenty of other stuff to read, you know? There's plenty of stuff to go through till you find something you like, you know? Exactly. Just keep tossing the stuff you don't like. Eventually, you've got to find something that's your your flavor of Star Wars, you know, your particular flavor. I do it all the time, you know? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't worry about it too much. I realize there's going to be stuff. And you know what? A lot of times, after... A time period when I finally do sample that stuff that I tossed aside before, a lot of times it actually ends up being really good, too. So, hey, you know, whatever, as long as you're making it. I think the difference between the Star Trek continuity and Star Wars continuity is that all along, instead of, like, from the very beginning, like, Star Wars has been, well, this is the continuity that the novels are doing and that the comics are doing fans would have, you know, been more accepting of it, but all along for the past X amount of years, they have been trying to fit everything into one big continuity, even the most obscurest of the obscure stuff. So it's just had... Yeah, like Cliff. (laughs) Well, even stuff more obscure than Cliff. I mean, I've seen the stuff that people have tried to tie together, you know, like it's not like, you know, old school DC where they say, well, this is, you know, this is this universe and right. within DC and this is Earth 2 and this is Earth X and or with Marvel where this is the ultimate universe. Star Wars has always had one continuity and it, you know, they never said the books and the comics have their own continuity or anything like that. It's you know, what's happened in the Dark Horse comics has affected what happened in a Bantham book. Right. I was just going to jump on what you said. I would love if rather than Earth 1, Earth 2, you know, in Star Wars, they're like Alderaan 1, Alderaan 2. You know, that would be awesome. No! Oh, oh, this is the Alderaan 3 universe. Okay, now I know. In this universe, Alderaan blew up the Death Star. Awesome! Alderaan. Alderaan. Oh, my God. Okay, I saw. I know this is an aside, but some guys did a Star Wars musical, but they took like... This is an aside. Never mind, go ahead. They took this is like an aside of an aside. They took like songs from pop culture, like you know, for example, when Han Solo's you know introducing Millennium Falcon, he sings Grease Lightning, but he sings Millennium Falcon, go go go. And uh, when they get to the part where Alderaan's about to blow up, Governor Tarkin starts grabbing Leia and dancing with her, singing "I can blow up your world." From <laughs> A blown up world. It's the most hilarious thing ever. I must have watched it 500 times. What? No, quit it. All God is a peaceful planet. We have no weapons. Aren't you going to say considering the circumstances? You couldn't possibly. I blow up. Shine and cherry splendid. Every princess
awesome. <laughs> and I don't think you have to apologize. I don't think you have to apologize for any asides. I think this whole thing's been two hours of asides so far. All right, to bring this whole thing back around, and before we go to our uh, break, a couple of uh, recommendations I had um, being solicited right now, or it's either right now or shortly, because I know it comes out before the end of the year. If you guys remember recently, and I think it may have even been last episode, Chris, maybe you can back me up on this. Remember I was talking about the Quinlan Voss storyline? and I how believe awesome it was I, last episode. Yeah, I yeah. think it was as well. Damned if shortly after that, um, listening to that episode when it went up, they just announced, Dark Horse did, that their next omnibus is Quinlan Voss, Jedi in Darkness. It's a new omnibus that'll be coming along. I think it comes out... I think it's going to come out in December or something like that. But anyway, it's... Like I say, it's either being solicited right now or it's going to be solicited shortly. One of the two. So you can take a look for it. This is going to cover uh, issues 19 through 45 of Dark Horse Star Wars, the series that would eventually become um, Star Wars Republic. Yeah, well, yeah, it's be- it was reprinted in trade format as uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. But originally, as of issue 46, it became Star Wars Republic. For, and then that's what it remained through the end of the run. But originally, it was just called Star Wars. But it was the Dark Horse one. Now, they did skip a couple of issues between 19 through 45. Number 27 is not reprinted in there because that was a one-off issue called Star Crash. And I don't know if that's been reprinted anywhere. To be honest, it's not a very good story, so you won't really miss it. And it doesn't have anything to do with Quinlan Voss. Also, issues 28 through 31 is a storyline called The Hunt for Aura Singh. That was already reprinted in a prior omnibus, um, The Menace Revealed, which, by the way, is a really, really good um a good omnibus just really worth picking up but all the rest of the issues are this thing's going to be over 500 pages and something like a, i think it's like 120 of those pages are all material that's previously not been reprinted anywhere else so i highly i give this my highest recommendation you guys have to check this out quinlan quinlan voss is badass because he's a, a jedi that uh he kind of walks a very thin line between light and dark. And the way I like to describe the character is that he's basically like scalp hunter. The Jedi Knight is kind of the way I look at the guy. And he's really cool. He's a really great and original character. And his Padawan who eventually goes on to be a Jedi Knight was Ayla Secura, who was made up for the comics. But George Lucas liked her so much that she actually wound up in episodes two and three the movies so it was a cool little uh tie in there the other thing uh, i want to recommend i just bought the first issue of this and it was really good and i want to suggest it um one of the new series that uh dark horse is doing they're going to be doing a series of uh mini series that are all under a, a new banner called blood ties so it'll be star wars blood ties and the first one that's out is a uh, four-part Django Fett and Boba Fett story. 
uh, written by Tom Taylor and the artist on this. Oh, this I read fantastic. the first issue of that. Did you? That was good. Wasn't it good? It was. Yeah, I really liked it. the The artist on this is that uh, Chris Scalf, who uh, he was the artist of the latest Purge one shot that Chris. That was that one with Darth Vader, right. where it's like jumping off the wall and all yeah, that. Yeah, beautiful. Battling. Yeah, his art is fantastic and there's a part in this book where Django takes Boba, you know, young Boba to this cave and Boba doesn't know what's going on and he sprays him with a scent that is like of like the indigenous and uh he sprays him with oh, this babe. scent to draw out a uh like this creature that ends up coming at him, and it's basically like this giant Star Warsy dragon thing that comes after. And man, that part of the book is just incredible. The art in that is just absolutely amazing stuff. Is it a, um, is it a crack dragon? No, it's not. But it's it's something like that. But it, it was to where it, the, the it was like a lesson he was trying to teach Boba of. You know, now that you have faced this, you're you're basically never gonna know fear in your life because you faced this thing and and survived the experience kind of thing, and it was really a fantastic uh, part of the book. My only uh, quibble with it, and it's a minor one, but uh, this is a four issue miniseries, so this first issue ends on a uh, on a cliffhanger, and. You know, if you've ever read one comic book or Star Wars story before in your life, you're going to see this cliffhanger's ending coming a mile away. But it's still cool and it's still worth, you know, picking up and checking out because it really is a good story. And the art will just absolutely floor you. It's just beautifully painted. Uh, it's like digitally painted or something like that. It's a new uh-huh. kind of style in comics. A lot of people are doing that now, yeah. yeah. That looks really, really good. So uh, highest recommendation on that. So far, just the first issue's out, but uh, I, I bought it the other day and uh, absolutely loved it. So check that out. Yeah, that was really good. But with that, I say let's take a little break and we'll play some interesting stuff and we'll come back and we're going to talk about Marvel Comics Star Wars number 55, Pliff. They 
Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome galactic empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars. The greatest space fantasy of all. Hey everybody, we're back. It's Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 24. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with Scott Gardner, the irredeemable Shag, and Joshua Lappin-Bertoni. And I said Shag first, just so he feels equal. I feel better. They're like little kids in the schoolyard. (laughs) got to treat them both equal make sure if we give one of them a present we give the other one a present too I was going to say yeah or else they'll be hell to pay <laughs> if you give if you give him a Baron fell action figure you've got to give me one too it's just the <laughs> but before i say too much i want to pass it on to scott gardner who's going to tell you what's coming next thank you so much cuz what's coming next is really special <laughs> it is special we're going to be looking at Marvel Comics Star Wars number 55. This is the uh, January 1982 issue. Great cover on this one by Walt Simonson. And this is honestly one of my favorites of the entire series. I really, really like this one. Just to uh, paint a uh, a, a verbal image for you here, we've got uh, a bunch of rebel soldiers, including Princess Leia and Chewbacca, and one of them that actually looks like Luke Skywalker, although that would be a little bit out of place, as you'll hear a little bit later uh, in the synopsis. They're standing in this big, weird, cave, depression-looking thing with this big crystal structure, and there's this giant, freaky-looking... It's like a cross between like a spider, a moth, and a bat. And they're all firing their weapons at it. And I really like this one because Leia's weapon really looks like an M16. And I think that's just really cool to see an M16-looking gun in Star Wars. But uh, tell me, am I crazy? Does that guy in the middle between Leia and Chewbacca, that that looks like Luke, doesn't it? It's because he's got blonde hair and the way his hair is shaped. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's He's doing the dual Han Solo pistol thing. Yeah, but yeah, he does look like Luke Skywalker, but that could just be uh 
because of the coloring, you know. If I can, there's there's two other things I'd like to add about why I think sure. this cover is so phenomenal. It, the crackle of where their their shots coming out of their pistols and hitting the the beast is pure Walt exactly. Simons. Exactly, yeah. it's so Walt Simons, and it's just gorgeous because it is by Walt well, Simonson. And and this was where he was starting to develop that his, that Walt Simonson kind of stylized look, you know. Well, he had just come off of uh, Battlestar Galactica not long before this, and I can kind of see a little bit of a carryover between what the wh- what were they called, colonial soldiers or whatever, in that series. Right, right. Yeah, and and the rebel, you know, just the foot soldier guys in this. But I love it. I, I really like that visual style. Yeah, this is sort of the stepping stone between that and when he was doing like his run on Thor, right? Which was like fully the full, you know, him in full style stride. But he was more like this on the covers, you know. He did the more crazy stylized stuff in the covers, and the inside was more of almost photorealistic. I think that had a lot to do with the inking, right? You know, to a huge extent. The the other thing I really like on this cover, and I'm not sure if this is the first time they did it on the Marvel Comics. I know they did it a few times. Is that the Star Wars logo is transparent. Yeah, you can see behind it, and it it just it makes a neat visual, and just the way the crystals are and all the different imagery, it almost seems like it's drawing you to the center point of the. Well, from a graphic design point of view, I can tell you why I think they did that. Why is that? Because I'll bet you when they did the art for this. And they needed to have that win a Columbia ten speed racer <laughs> Formula ten ad on That's the good top. Point. When they when you plunk the you know the the non see through Star Wars over there, it just takes up so you know a good almost yeah. more than a third of the artwork. You know would be gone, would be covered with stuff. So I think maybe they opted to have it clear so you could see more of the gorgeous artwork and see what was going on on yeah. it. Yeah, I think you're right. See, rest of the credits for this particular one. This is written by David Michelini, who we, uh, I think we welcome him to the series at this point, don't we? Has he yes. done one before this point? I can't re- I think I he's done a don't. fill-in or two. Oh, okay. Uh, let's check our friends over at Wikipedia. Okay. While you're doing that, I'll finish up the uh, credits real quick. We got Walt Simonson, of course, as the penciler inside as well. Tom Palmer as the inker. Who I have to say, yeah, absolutely love his yes. stuff. And between the two of those guys, I don't think Chewbacca ever looks better in this entire series. No. He's perfect in this we, issue. I really like those two together doing Chewbacca. We we talked about this before on, the, on a previous one I was on, but I mean, this is really this is the house style right here. Oh yes, uh, yep. of of the Empire to Return era happens. This is it. Yes, yep. this, is, this is what Star Wars is this, this era, and I. Love Yes, and I love it's, having Palmer stick, you know, stick around on through like when Friends comes on later because he ties the two styles together. So there's not really much of a jump. So that when I picture Marvel Star Wars comics in my mind's eye, it's really more than Simonson or Friends. It's really Tom Palmer's art that I'm seeing because right. he was the 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 link that tied it all so strong together. Right. And and I think I always think of. And it happens right here in this issue. And it's funny because it's 1982. But I think of this as the modern Star Wars, where it went from being sort of like a 70s style comic where it could it could be it could change from month to month what kind of story you had or what kind of feel it had or what everybody looked like. 
to this where it really had an 80s feel to yes. it. And it had a more cleaved to the movies feel yes. to it than the other ones. Whereas the other ones were sort of like the comic of Star Wars. This is this feels more like the comic the of the movie of Star Wars. You know, all the all the characters are of Empire specifically, on, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. From this point on the characters are drawn for you know to to try to make them match up with the actors and actresses who play them right and stuff and and I love I love it this is it, it the whole feel of it changes the way the stories are told and I love I love that stuff but this stuff is the meat and potatoes and this was where I started picking up Star Wars again and reading it yeah, again me too you know there was a big gap in between a lot of this stuff I've been reading in the last year or more in Star Wars Monthly Monday has been stuff I never read before you know that I never had mm -hmm. until I always had the beginning part of the run and then the end part of the run and a lot of the stuff in the middle after you know between like 20 and 50 were I never saw so but this is oh, this is all the stuff I remember you know you guys are going to kick yourselves, but David Michelinie did the Tarkin two-parter. That's oh. right, because uh, it's referenced in this issue. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Wrapping up the credits on this one, uh, Joe Rosen was letterer. D. Warfield as colorist, which I wonder if that's a uh, pseudonym, because I don't recognize that name. Um, also, Louise Jones, who would later be Louise Simonson, Walt's wife, uh, was the editor on this one. And editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter. And uh, just on a personal note, we miss you, buddy. Man, I wish Jim Shooter would come back to Marvel. Anyway, this story is entitled Pliff. And for our synopsis this month, I'm going to turn it over to the late great voice talent, Chuck Riley and his little pal, R2-D2. This is the story of Planet of the Hoojibs. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. Let's begin now. Chewbacca skillfully steered the rebel survey ship into orbit around a mysterious planet. Princess Leia studied the lush green land below. It's called Arbor, Chewie. If our reports are correct, it could be the perfect place for a secret rebel base. The Wookiee growled a warning. <laughs> Leia nodded. Sure, it could be dangerous, but we've been in hairy spots before. No offense, Chewie. After landing, the Rebel survey team mounted their air bikes and began their exploration of Arbra. The golden droid, C-3PO, set about collecting and processing data. I wish R2 was here to see all this. It's much nicer than that ice planet Hoth. Princess Leia was encouraged by what she saw. Good climate, lots of natural resources. The thick growth of trees will give us perfect air cover. <laughs> and from the looks of it, no dangerous animals. We might have found just what we're looking for. Okay, team, let's make camp here tonight. The place seemed safe enough, but as the rebels set up camp, they were being carefully watched. The exhausted rebel team settled into their cozy camp. Soon, they found themselves overrun by hundreds of the fairy lop-eared creatures that Leia had seen earlier. 
C-3PO introduced their tiny guests. They're Hujib, your highness, natives of this planet. Not very intelligent, I'm afraid. I think they're adorable. One particularly playful Hujib took a liking to Chewbacca, much to his dismay. The little creature snuggled around the giant Wookiee's neck. Leia couldn't resist teasing. Why, I think he's adopted you, Chewie. <laughs> and you thought there was danger here. Now, weren't you wrong? However, Chewie's instincts had been right. There was danger on the planet. And not even the night patrol could protect the sleeping camp from it. But it was not some horrible terror in the darkness. The danger was in the cute, cuddly hoojibs that the unsuspecting rebels had befriended. C-3PO was sitting on a tree stump in the shutdown mode when his emergency sensors were activated. He awakened to find hungry hoojibs feasting on the electronic circuits in his leg. Ouch! I'm being eaten alive! Help! Oh, someone help me! Shoo! Shoo! Gimmer, chief of the rebel guards, raced to the rescue. Code red! Activate floodlights! Secure the area! But when the switches were thrown, the huge camp lights failed. It's those hoojibs! They're energy eaters! Get them off me! Sputtered C-3PO. But by the time Gemmer reached the droid, the hoojibs were scurrying away. Princess Leia watched the fleeing creatures. We can't let them escape! Chewie, grab one! The huge Wookiee calmly reached down and scooped up one of the escaping animals. But he was in for a shock when the tiny hoojib spoke. Put me down, you great petty beast. An amazed Princess Leia was handed the small captive. Hey, this little guy can talk. But our recon report said that Arbor contained no intelligent life. The tiny hoojib huffed a tiny huff. <laughs> I am Cliff, my good creature. And I dare say, more intelligent than that shaggy beast that grabbed me. Then tell me why you made a midnight snack out of our power supply. Yes, we do owe you an explanation. Ages ago, our Hujib ancestors made their home in a crystal cavern near here. Inside are huge crystals, which draw power from the center of the planet and transform it into pure energy. This is what we live on. But with so much food at home, why hit us up for dinner? If we were forced out of our home by a beast. Leia shook her head. Come on, Pliff, what beast? The bat one. A blast of wind hit the camp as a huge winged beast raged overhead. A writhing mass of tentacles on the underside of the monster's body grabbed up a helpless soldier. Leia drew her laser gun and squeezed the trigger. Nothing happened. The Hoojibs even drained our blasters. Gimmer dashed to her side. I was on guard duty when they hit. Here, my blaster is still charged. Leia seized the weapon and fired. The stunned beast dropped the soldier and flew away. Pliff shuddered. It's called the Slivalith. After drifting in space for years, it made its way to our home. We were forced to flee, surviving on any bits of energy we could find. The princess sighed. Now we're all in the same boat. We'll have to help you get rid of your unwanted guests so we can recharge our energy supplies. While Leia and Pliff plotted their strategy, the rest of the rebel team made crude spears. After a forced march through the night, they positioned themselves outside the Hujib's cavernous home. All right, squad, this will be dangerous. Wait, Cliff, where do you think you're going? Don't let our size fool you. We're going to help win our home back. 
the courageous hujibs hopped to the mouth of the cave. Once in position, the little creatures taunted the beast with their shrill calls. Something rumbled deep within the cavern. Cliff and his friends made a mad dash for safety. In a flash, the sliverlith hurtled from the cave, sending the hujibs tumbling. Leia waited until the beast was right overhead. All right, now! A volley of homemade spears took the screeching creature by surprise. While the sliverlift was distracted, Leia scooped up the disabled blasters. Chewie, Gimmer, let's go! We have to get in the cavern and recharge these things before all those spears are gone! The three raced for the cave opening while the other rebels bravely continued to battle the beast. Suddenly, there was a shrill cry. Leia spun around. There was Plith, caught up in one of the monster's waving tentacles. Leia aimed the only working blaster. Put that hoochim down! The shot hit the Slivelet squarely. Plith dropped unharmed. Thank you, Leia. I owe you one. The angry Slivelet turned and swooped at Leia. The princess dashed into the cavern. I hope Chewie's still in here, or I'm sunk. She headed for an outcropping of rock as the horrible monster roared into the cave after her. Then, Leia tripped and fell helpless before the beast. <laughs> Suddenly, from behind a rock, Chewbacca leaped up. The giant Wookiee grabbed the beast, halting it in mid-flight. Using the Slivelith's great size against it, Chewie slammed the monster into a wall of razor-sharp energy crystals. eerie sound, like shattering glass, echoed through the cavern as the Slivelith tumbled helplessly down the tunnel that led to the fiery core of the planet. Cheering rebels and hujibs rushed into the cave as Chewbacca gave a victory roar. Then the rebels grew silent as they took their first look at the overwhelming power and beauty of the cavern. The energy crystals glowed with unnatural light. Gemmer whistled softly. This is perfect. The Empire would never find us here. Cliff cleared his throat. <clears throat> May I remind you, sir, this is our home. Leia smiled sadly. Cliff's right. The Empire has taken away our homes. We won't do the same to the Hujans. The disappointed rebel troops nodded their agreement. You're right, Princess. Come on, team. Let's get on with our mission. Uh, sorry, Cliff. Guess we got carried away. The Hujibs sadly watched the rebels turn to leave. Finally, Cliff spoke up. Friendship is what makes a home really a home. And you're welcome to share our home with us. Leia B. Cliff, I think I love you. After recharging the radio, Leia sent the news to the waiting rebel fleet. Our recon reports were correct. Location perfect. Unlimited energy supply and total seclusion. But we found something very important that was not in the reports. We found friends. We found something that wasn't in the reports. Love. Uh, like, okay, no, that would not be in any report at all. <laughs> so, Scott, to answer your question earlier, 
I can't figure out if that's the lady from the radio dramas or not because yeah. when she's sat, when she's stern and she's like sort of you know uh, in a hurry or, or de- demanding, she sounds just like her. But when she's just regularly talking, she sounds off. It's like that's not her. So it makes me wonder if maybe she got better at it. Well, plus it, this would have been several years, you know, at, what like five, six years later after. Um, Star, you know, the Star Wars adaptation. I don't know how much longer it would have been after Empire. I guess three or four years. Oh, really? That much? Oh, well, then I don't. Well, think see, the the date on this book. You know, I'm looking at the uh, the book for the the record we just listened to says eighty three, and I know it did come out either just after or maybe in conjunction with Return of the Jedi. So. You know, going with that date of eighty-three. Well, I, I don't, don't know. I mean, I don't, it, I don't think it's her. Then you don't think it's her? No, nah, I don't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't find anything anywhere online or anything that would you know give me any idea of who worked on this thing, other than. Um, Here's uh, why I can't find anything because it's so insanely obscure. There's only one guy that would ever scan it in and make a CBR out of it. You know, I thought of that too, but the only who would thing... be so desperate and nerdy to do that <laughs> shit. I mean, I I thought of that too, and that's kind of what I chalked it up to. But we're talking Star Wars here, just so lonely and and bored and <laughs> and useless. Who? I think much. that I think that the audio, you know, drama was a vast improvement over the comic. I mean, you know, the ah! comic. No, the comic just ends with the Rebel fleet, you know, but here they have the added thing of Leia saying, we have something that wasn't in the report, you know, friendship, (laughs) you know, that, you know, and then, I mean, and we did not need the subplot about Luke needing to hear from them in three days, otherwise they were going to get stranded, I mean, that was just unnecessary drama, I mean, we don't need Luke and R2's appearance, so I'm glad that that was, you know, dropped out of there, that was good, and Michael Jackson's cameo at the beginning that makes the story more relevant for at this point in the eighties. So the audio drama, you know, thumbs up, you know. Wow. Now that we've come back from the fantasy land of Josh, um, I we also have <laughs> we also have the uh, the book that goes along with this record, and uh, I gotta say, um, well, just for those of you who haven't, you probably haven't seen the book. Um, it, it they have you know it's it's a book and audio. Thing. So you've got the book, you see the page of text, you see a page of drawings. Well, it, it's nicely painted artwork um, by Stalling for Time. Greg, Greg Winters. Winters. Yep. It's very pretty. But a lot of cases, it's panel for panel ripped off from Walt Simonson's work in the actual issue itself. And I think it's pretty unfortunate that Walt Simonson doesn't even get a credit in this thing. Right. Okay, well, did you not hear my rant? Walt Simonson probably did not want his name attached to this thing. Well, it's possible. By the way, did you notice that the page after the Michael Jackson appearance, uh, Wilma Deering from Buck Rogers makes an appearance? <laughs> oh, two things I noticed that oh, wow. I've always yes, noticed since I was a kid about this is page four, where Leia is setting up the camp. That may be Leia in clearly a female form, but that is swiped right out of The Empire Strikes Back. Right. That's Luke's pose as he oh confronts God. Yoda for the first time in the camp on Dagobah. And then wow. again on page 10, the the scene where Leia is holding Cliff in her hand and they're talking, 
that's Leia from the scene where she and Han are talking on Cloud City and she says, then you're as good as gone, aren't you? That's the exact frame of that movie is where they got that picture from. So well, I it's, a really that was, good, it's a really good Leia. So. Yeah, I love is. that picture. And, and Pliff is telling her, I'll be right here. Yes. <laughs> Ouch. But, 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 but he really wants her to cut her fingernails because, oh my goodness, gosh. There's like a little Empire Strikes Back, a little E.T., a little bit of Dr. Seuss with the curly Q on top of his head. <laughs> Look at those fingernails of Leia on that page. A little she's bit got, of S&M, she's got yeah. talons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, am I the only one who thinks that Pliff is like the cutest thing in the world? And growing he up, the cutest thing in the world. And like, I, growing up, I totally could imagine like what it would feel like to pet him or hold like him like you know, the, the bones underneath the fur and like i can totally vi- visualize the the yeah. texture and the the tactile would... sensation of holding him dude you you know what Too you just hit on the thing that is missing from tattooing traders man they need to have pliff plush at that gift shop. I mean, can you imagine how many Pliff, you know, hoojibs that they would sell? I wonder if there's any Pliff plushies out there. They would sell dozens and dozens of them. <laughs> I'd buy one. I'd buy I'd buy probably two. You guys are just you guys are just getting all the Pliff furries out there all horny listening to all this. <laughs> the, the bone structure under them. Yes, go on, go on. You know, I I'm totally not that all the uh, furry yif piling and all that stuff bothers me, but you know, you know, if there was you a mean cliff, cliff piling, I, they, might, they might. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I make cliff it, I piling. Could, I could, I could convert for Pliff. I think I just might. Oh my! And yeah, th- th- that's a, that's another difference oh, between because the... I took it too far, Josh. Yeah, because that was the <laughs> that was the line in the sand there. Yeah, that's, that's the line in the sand. Yeah, that's another <laughs> that's another reason why this um, audio drama is so much better than the comic. You know, because at the end of the comic, you know. When the rebels are like, yeah, we should stay here. The Hoobjibs are like, no, we're gonna fight you for it. Then there's that panel where it looks like they're about to go all out war. You know, no, you know, we don't need drama like that. This Disney fight ending, you know, with the rebels saying, well, you guys can have it since you were here first without any prodding from Leia, was much better and much more cuddly. You know, which which is what it needed. We didn't need all this drama. You really act like you didn't like this version. I, I you know, I kind of like it. It, it is, it is much more, it is much more dumbed down, or not, not necessarily well, dumbed down, but it's, it is kiddified. It's simplified, I guess, would be a good way to put it. But well, it's a kid's storybook. It, it is. I Basically. like the differences between them, but two, uh, one that I really liked is I, I like that the book starts with an entirely new opening scene, kind of a cut scene, if you will, where we're in space above the planet before they even land whereas the comic starts you know where they're already on yeah they're already down on the surface i like that but the the thing i noticed this time around that i guess i never really thought about before but as we were listening to that and it said uh pliff clears his throat you know for the little announcement at the end i got to thinking you know what pliff doesn't seem to be a telepath in this version which no, is they kind don't of- mention it at all they they just say he just starts talking i that was one of my notes is they they decided not to explain what a telepath is to a little kid and just it's better just to have him talk you know Wait, the, I, i'm fine with that except that story. that doesn't explain how he knew the origins of the slivolith well, it does, yeah, that's what I'm saying. For the for the sake of a little kid's book, they you know, 
the, yeah, the, the kids aren't going to ask that question, probably. Or, right. You know. Oh, yeah, they do explain the origin. Yeah, I'm looking after Drifting in Space. Yeah, that is, that's very skippable. Yeah, from from a kid's perspective. It's just, you know, there's no oh, reason yeah. why he... Yeah, he could absolutely know it, you know? It makes sense, I suppose. Um... It was, what did you guys think of the of the uh, Hujib's voices? You know, the it was very haughty. Um, I always kind of thought it, from the, reading the comics that they would have a British accent, and they didn't hear. They had more like just that haughty, snooty accent that you know, like because the Fra- Fraser accent, if you will. Because I think I it was the same like guy who did. Things. I think it was the same voice actor who did C three PO, and he was proving very soundly that he couldn't do a British accent to save his life. <laughs> so he oh, so you think it was an attempt at a British accent? He might have been trying to. C three PO is definitely an attempt at a British accent, but it just wasn't very good at all. At yeah. All, you know. It, but you know, he ended up sounding like Droopy Dog, sort of like a more like Droopy Dog with a with a cappuccino in him, maybe. You know. Like, oh no. You know, but. Still, he's droopy dog, you know. He he the, the, he tried. He was trying to do the British accent. And, and I I got something crazy for you guys. You, you oh. guys are gonna, you guys are probably gonna think I'm completely nuts. But there's something on this record that has just driven me nuts for years because there's a line in here where where she's where Leia is teasing Chewie and she says. And you thought there was danger here. Now, weren't you wrong? For some reason, (laughs) every single time I watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's that scene after the boulder chases Indy, and he runs out, and he's all covered in the cobwebs and all that, and Belloc is taunting him. And Belloc says, and you thought I'd given up. I always think that the next line is going to be, now, weren't you wrong? I, I'm not making that up. I always hear it in my head every time I watch that. You're a huge I nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you've got something, uh, you've got some poison in your system there, buddy, that you need to figure out a way to purge. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of people get movie quotes and stuff, but you get like the most obscure shit popping up into that, you know? I'm telling you. I'm not making that up either. I, I swear to I'm God, sure that's I, true. I believe you. Now, <laughs> here's here's one for Scott. Uh, go, go back to page, uh-huh, whatever, where they're riding the speeder bikes things. Yes. Those look like they're completely, like, stolen from the set of a Star Trek uh, film. I mean, those, those are Starfleet bikes. I, you know, not I that they actually appeared be... in a film, but they just look like they should be Starfleet issue from the movie era. I should have looked this up earlier, but now that you say that, what you just made me think of was uh, well, they look like Galactica the front end of an 1980. Enterprise. They had those speeder bike type of things. What did they look like on well, that show? Well, if any... you look at these things, these things are an Enterprise with the saucer section cut off, and with the little foot things on the front. And, yeah, maybe that's you know, why they got a little saucer in the front that they got little God, red stripes right. going in the back. They're like almost sort of a squashed dish, up. Yeah. There's sort of the squashed-up fuselage of a Enterprise. That's probably what made me think of the the Star Trek was just the that and the, you know the the white with the red striping is really the yeah. Enterprise, but I think it's important to note though that this you know predates uh, Return of the Jedi, so this is the first speeder bikes in Star Wars, and the sound effects are pretty close to pretty what the sound close, effects yeah. of the the speeder bikes sounded like too. 
I, I, ha- I have to play geek for a minute here. Uh, we did have swoop bikes in the late 70s in some of the Han Solo novels. Mm-hmm. Oh, did we? Yeah. I mean, you didn't see them or hear them, obviously, because it's a book, but we had I think, those. I think hey. this is more uncanny because there they are in a forest, too. They're just sort of, they're, they're you know, they're flying through a, like a redwood forest. Now, switching to the comic, if, if we're ready to switch to the comic, I happen to know on the first page on the opening splash, while it is essentially the same exact scene, if you'll notice, boy, those speeder bikes look completely different. They've got, like, headlights in them. Yeah, and, and, like the, uh-huh. Well, the other one has headlights, too. They're just different shape. But you notice Chewie's bike actually looks different than everyone else's, too. It's like it's... It's reinforced for his weight or something. Right, <laughs> yeah, he's, right. They gave him a bigger one. It's got three headlights instead of two. She exactly. customized it, you know. He's got to yeah, do something when he's... He has my, the equivalent of a chopper. Bike. Yeah, he has the exactly. equivalent of a chopper. <laughs> okay, I mean, so... that, that splash page is just beautiful, too, oh, by the yeah. way. It's just incredibly detailed with the sunlight coming down through the trees and, and the... Right off the bat, you have a, a decent-looking Chewbacca, which is always a great sign when you crack open a Star Wars comic. Yep. Yeah, and I loved him, Fatino, but he could not draw Chewie to save his life. No. He drew he he drew like fifteen different versions of Chewie too. It was amazing how he did that. Did we have hey. anything else on the uh, on the booklet before we get to the the comic proper? The only thing I had left was interesting to compare the um, Slivalith, however you say it, the uh-huh. the Beast. It's interesting to pair the compare the Beast from the book and record to the comic, because the one in the comic looks a lot more like a manta ray compared to the one in the book, which looks very much like a Disneyified monster. Right. Yes. You're right. Yeah, the one and I, the I think the one in the comics horrifying. a little more abstract too. You don't. I, to me, it's, it seems like his face is somewhat like undefined, whereas the one in the in the book has you know teeth and horns. It's a, yeah, and, it's a toothy monster. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, absolutely. It's, it, this is definitely you know designed designed for kids, so they want it to be a scary monster. But I think maybe the monster in the comic might have been a little too either weird. It might have either been not scary enough or too scary. So I think they just sort of made it something a more general, almost dragony sort of monster. Monster. And another yeah. thing about the this whole the whole drama I liked is the jaunty, jaunty music. <laughs> There's just lots of happy jaunty now, I don't. I don't know if any of. I don't know if any of that was used in Droid World. You know the 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 book record adaptation of Droid World. Just because I haven't really listened to that one very many times, but I know that a lot of the action music toward the end of this um, was also in uh, Rebel Mission to Ord Mantell, and I'd I'd like to have that music. Just to have it, you know, just because I listened to Rebel Mission to Ord Mantell about a billion times when you I was a kid. I love that. Oh yeah, God, I still I do love that. that. I think that's a great story. I really do. I liked that one a lot. Is that adapted I, from a comic also? No, so far as I'm aware, that's a, a completely original mm-hmm. story that was done just for a record, but it was actually an LP. It was... Uh, 
you know, it was a two-sided LP, ran about, what would you say, Chris, about 40 minutes or so? Yeah, it was, yeah, probably, yeah, it probably was about 40 minutes, because it was all, yeah, it was a full-length, I mean, it was basically, wasn't it just a riff of that bounty hunter we ran into on Ord on Mantel? Mantel. Yeah. differently, you know? Yeah, And then exactly. since then, they've done, story. like, nine different stories about that bounty hunter from Ord Mantel. <laughs> right. Meh. Well, I, I consider that one, for for me personally, for, for Scott's Star Wars canon, that's the canon story because that's the one that was actually produced, you know, as as a record, you know. And it was, to my knowledge, it was first before any of the other stories. Like, like you say, it has been addressed. We have run into that same, you know, referenced bounty hunter like a dozen times now. But to, to for my mind, anyway, that's that's the official story is that record, but... You know, talking about the record, record for just a second, I, no. I just find it interesting that, you know, the record for this, the the Pliff one, it was it was a seven inch, which is basically you know the old forty five. Forty five. But this one played at thirty three and a third, not forty five. Oh, I, I don't never, remember that. Well, it's what it says in the book, at least. I'd never seen a seven inch play at thirty three and a third before. Hmm? No, sure they had them. Yeah. Well, I trust they did. I just never noticed saw that. I've got mine somewhere. the The audio that we just played is uh, is actually from the tape, which I, I don't own and never heard before. But uh, I, I do still somewhere in some box somewhere. I still have the uh, the book and record, and I listened to that thing it's about a zillion times. I liked this. I've always liked this one a lot. It, it's really Droid World was the only one I never really cared for, and it's not like it's a bad production or anything. I just think the story's kind of stupid, but. I like this one a lot, but, you know but it helps that this is a great story. It really is. Yeah, this is this. What I love about this is it's just sort of its own. It's got you know, it's got a check in with Luke and R two, and then at the end it's got a set up. You know, with the next one with Lando, goes back to Cloud City, mm-hmm. but the just sort of self contained story in here feels very Star Wars. In the movie sense, Star Wars, right? You know the way the story is the, the 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 you know the it's a simple moral you know or the simple conclusion with Pliff going well they did you know they say they got us back into our you know our home so we can share it with them is a very Star Wars sentiment, and it's just a nice little action-packed story that's really well drawn, really well written. And it just, it's almost like you had the old school, then you had the last two issues before this where they were just sort of crapped out, you know. Right. They were probably preparing this. And this just is sort of your introduction to what Star, Star Wars is going to be, how it's going to feel from now on. And really, it feels like it, an episode of Clone Wars. Yeah, it does yeah, a lot. Yeah, you're and, right. And yeah. At the end where Leia's like, we found friends. You can like hear like the Clone Wars ending. Yeah, exactly. You are totally right. Yes, it does. The way it plays out and yeah, and I and I forgot what a awesome thing that is. I'm really I'm really looking forward to because from this from this point on, there's a few clunkers here and there, but for it's, it has a general quality that it sort of maintains. 
I mean, there's really not many of them either. I mean, there's a a couple, like you say, but not like it was before. I mean, before we, we had... We had a few. Yeah, we had, we a, we had not only a couple really good them, ones, you know? but we also had a stretch where, you know, I know that the the wheel storyline has its fans, and it's not like it's horrible or anything, but that to it's me, long. that's a bit of a slog to get through. Whereas, it was like six issues, wasn't it? It was yeah. long. So it the me med- like eight months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, to the best of my remembrance. I don't think we ever have a schlog again in the rest of this series. We we have, like you say, a couple, couple clunker, kind of clinkers. Single yeah. Oh, good lord. Just get over the Wedge Antilles issue. Okay? I Just see, I think I remember liking that issue. So. David Michelinie wrote it. Scott's hung up on it. Anyway. I can remember three off the top of my head. There's that, there's that <laughs> yeah, one. There's the yeah. one where, where Han Solo literally punches out a Wookiee, which is just a come on, come on you know? And then there's uh, the one, and I don't there's, remember anything more Wookies about it pussies. except that. Maybe um, he's got a glass jaw. <laughs> introducing. You're, you're really glass not going to list, you know, Darth Vader and Leia arguing over finances on a bank planet. No, well, I mean from the, this, that's from this point on, though, is what I get. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, there's the one I, I literally don't remember anything more about this story except what my beef with it was. It's the one where Han Solo rides a horse. I don't. <laughs> it, it, it might be a great story. I just couldn't get past the the fact of of horses in Star Wars. Just I want to see Han Solo on a horse. On a horse. <laughs> and so you shall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, getting back to well, the comic though. You, uh, as, go, go ahead. I was Jack. just going to chime in and say, you know, going through this, preparing for this podcast, the hardest problem I had with this issue was coming up with stuff to complain about because it's. It's that good. I don't uh, know that I really have complaints, but I've got like you know my typical snarky little comments. Speaking of snark, you'll notice that Chewie is full of it on the top of page two right there. He actually says snark. snark. <laughs> I can Wouldn't only you? find th- I can only find things to make fun of. Like that sounds like someone who's like sucking, like has got a runny nose or something, and he's just like. That's yeah. what it sounds like. But uh. That sounds like the noise we used to make into our desks. Remember when we would echo into the desks <laughs> yeah. at Mr. Kenahan's class? Yes. It was snurks. On, a, see, on I, a completely this... serious note, though, um, <laughs> I want to I put out a call to the listeners. If anybody out there in listener lands ha- has any idea how to get a hold of David Michelini, the writer of this issue, please drop me a line. I, I'm completely serious. I really would like to talk to him. Uh, about his run on Star Wars, and run I've tried to find a way to get a hold of him. I just I, I'm coming up blank, so I would appreciate a, a, a point in the right direction. I I can only find things to pick on, like like the opening page with the BJ and the bear model. Yes, you know the ads and stuff. There's some great <laughs> cheesy ads. Um, the Captain Mar this. Now this is just ripe for Wait, wait, some... wait, wait. Don't don't do the ads yet. I like to save the ads until the last yeah. the last Well, that's thing. all I can think of to pick on. Oh, I well, all right. Well, I've, I'll run through my notes then cuz I've got a bunch okay. of stuff here. Well, before um, before we pick on it, let's celebrate one thing real quick. Just again, Walt Simonson's art is amazing. Oh, Heck yeah. He is such 
such a master too of the layout. I mean, he goes from there are full page splash pages in here. There's two panel pages, three panel pages. There's up to nine panel pages, and it's all different every page. And he's just he's such a masterful storyteller. Well, he can oh. do the fine detailed stuff, or he can do the 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 more you know impressionistic or stylized stuff too. I mean, this is this is mostly the detailed you know the very dense crowded frames and he does i love that style when it's done well and especially when it's inked well and here you have that perfect combination of the two and the coloring really is good on this too and and keeps the art popping out too you know it doesn't it doesn't flatten it out because there's a lot of detail and if it was if it was too dark it could be very muddy and it's just a feast for the eyes. I love Walt Simonson. I love I, him. I, I do have one minor quibble, and it's not really so much with his art. I, I want to get your guys' opinion on this. I wish to God that these pages were numbered, but they're not, unfortunately. But in, in the one scene, or excuse me, the first scene, there, there's basically two scenes that are missing from the the book and record adaptation that we just played and the first one is as leia makes camp we cut to um the rebel fleet and luke skywalker and he's talking to leia over the comm as you turn that page oh my god you're about to talk about my thing yeah go ahead first panel um luke is saying yeah i know blasted okay see you in three days skywalker out that panel has never worked for me. It's supposed to be a perspective shot where Luke is close oh my to God. us and Lando is in the background approaching the Falcon. However, Holy what crap. it looks like is that Lando is a Micronaut. <laughs> right? I've a never noticed person. that. <laughs> it, it, it's driven me crazy since and the then first two time panels I read later, the story. Luke is jumping on Lando's shoulders. Yeah. Whee! <laughs> yeah. Whee! <laughs> well, all right. Let's let's look, talk about the panel in between, where apparently Walt Simonson took a lunch break, and Carmen Infantino stepped in. Uh, yes. One panel for him. He said, "Let me do finish this chin and lips off for you there." Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Hey, oh, Carmen, oh no, it's not, it's not Carmen Infantino because Luke's like doesn't have like a ripped chest. Well, you only see his it's face, <laughs> but it's just that one little Thundar the Barbarian hair, either. <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not ripping on Simonson. I promise, no, I'm not. Dude, I'm just saying that that perspective shot right there does not work. It just doesn't. Lando looks miniaturized. He doesn't. Yes, he does. Like, hysterical. Yeah. And then, and then the jumping on the shoulder two panels later just is a perfect combination. You're right. <laughs> Where's Acro here in this picture? I'm, I can't find him or Microtron. I don't. I don't... <laughs> and and we're also coming into a, a <laughs> golden age of C3PO being drawn decently too. Nobody <laughs> seemed to. Yeah, a lot of times people really the only like Al Williamson has sort of been the only one who seemed to really get a total grip on C3PO before Walt Simonson. That's true. Now, page uh, two, yeah. second to last panel. Anything you guys notice there? Second to uh, last. The, that Lady Blackhawk is hanging out with the Hojibs? Yeah, there's been some speculation online. Um, on uh, And I've seen this mentioned a few times. Well, so that's people, Wheezy. That's not that's, we- Well, 
Okay, well, some people think it's Wheezy. Some people think that this is an early appearance of a character that gets fully introduced next issue. Yeah, I, I was expecting her in this issue, to be honest with you, because I've read that same note as well. But, uh, yeah, officially next issue is her first appearance, but I kind of wonder if she might be one of the background characters. My note for that was just simply that... Uh, I'm pretty damn sure that there's more women in this one issue of the Star Wars comic than in the entire seven films combined. Well, that aren't dancing girls oh. or something. <laughs> so hold on, you, what you're saying is you think that's Shira Bree? Yes. Yeah. I'm not ah. sure, but a lot of people online have speculated about it, and there's even like an argument among the Wikipedia editors about if they should list this as her first appearance or not. I think it's wheezy because you know there's. I think it's an inside thing because yeah. they've created the hojibs. They're super cute, and wheezy probably said they're adorable. And right. of course, you know, obviously Walt's making the moves here, right? Because they get married right. not too far after this. So he drew right. his, the, his paramour in there, going, "They're so cute." They were probably building the beast with two backs at this time, so that actually <laughs> she's in the comic. Because it looks but like was- wheezy. But I'm serious, the dude. There's a lot dance. of women in this. A, a lot of rebel women in this issue. There's there's many there's many. One on more. the third page. Yeah, right behind we ever yeah. see again in and Star Wars. I, we can only assume that half those hujibs are female too. Right. <laughs> and that's a shitload of hujibs. But I'm just saying, you know, at, at this point there had been Star Wars and there had been The Empire Strikes Back, and we had seen exactly three women in all yeah. of Star Wars at this point. We'd seen Aunt Beru. Princess Leia and that woman that says fire when they shoot the ion cannon and that's it you know <laughs> and now all of a sudden this issue is chock full of, of rebel females it just doesn't quite it is worth noting too right. though that this is the beginning oh. of that Michelini run though right. technically so so like Shira appearing here like before the first issue you know it's not too far out of bounds because you know she is a big character of the run. Okay, I'll tell you what. I won't. I won't give you that one girl, the the one that I think is Wheezy, but I will tell you. You go forward a couple of pages where it's mm-hmm. nighttime and they're all right. awoken, and there's the girl coming out of the tent, pulls the blaster with like the earrings on. Or yeah, I could like... give you that. That could be Shira. So. Oh wow! She comes. Yeah, out that was the too. one I. Yeah, that was the one I was looking at too. Where it's saying "click click" with the gun. Yep. Is that what's? Yeah. 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 I, could, I could give that as her, but I wouldn't say the wheezy one is. As I was reading this, and I saw her in that panel, I, I went to Wikipedia to look up to see if that was her, and it it doesn't it doesn't list this as her first appearance, but that could be her. Easily. I mean, she's got she's got the hoe bag earrings, you know. So, <laughs> bitch. Now, well, she this... and Luke did the beast with two backs. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, Luke. Well, yeah, all right, so Lando is hanging out with Luke in the fleet, and he ends up leaving. He says that, you know, he feels bad about, you know, what happened with Cloud City. He's going to go check things out. So he takes off in the Falcon. That's that's the first scene that's not in the uh, adaptation. Chewie, of course, is with Leia throughout the whole thing. So I'm just wondering, does this mean that the search for Han Solo is has been called off, off on hiatus yeah. at this point? I mean, nobody well, seems They called it off in issue 50, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. They called it off in issue 50, and had they restarted it again? They they do eventually, but it's just, you know, well, there was, was that point at, where, between, where Chewie actually issue. threatened Lando with physical violence when, when Lando wanted to get call it off, yeah. and now all of a sudden it's, like, kind of forgotten. 
I, I think it's just it went on temporary hiatus and they, they hadn't gotten back together. It's three years in three long years in between those movies, man. Right. Thirty some right. issues, you know. Yeah. Just just calling attention to it. Yeah. Now I like uh on that sa- the panel just before the one you were talking about with the, the potential Shira Bree here where it says click click, you've got uh the rebels setting up their power generators or whatever it is. And the one guy says, correction, Bert, and it's spelled B U R T T. And I wonder if that's an homage to, uh, ben, oh, yeah. Uh, the oh sound. yeah. Gotta be. Yeah. Gotta be. I love their tents, cool. by the way. I think their tents are super cool. Looking. Although just, it just fast. from a functional point of view, I just can't see tents having like the ornate windows that a couple of them have that sort of stick out with an awning. I can't see that being like a compact, but they probably blow up somehow. But yeah, those tents are pretty cool. They're almost a little hot home. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I could see, you know, like a temporary, you know, colony using those types of things or something Mm -hmm. in science fiction. Oh my God, I just spotted something. All right, on the panel where Chewie snaps up Cliff... And it look, there's those two panels where, where they're face-to-face as Chewie holds him up to him, and he says, oh, put me down and all that. All right, the third panel right there between Chewie and Leia, that looks like Beldar Conehead in the background right there. <laughs> yeah, and he's got with him, it looks like a supervillain with a mask. It looks it's, like Geoforce. That's Zippy the Pinhead, actually. <laughs> <Zippy. Yeah. laughs> Man, the Rebels, like... They really didn't care about this mission. They just got like you know the losers and like all the women. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Star Trek: Next Generation. They took all the misfits from the fleet and sent them into one place. Uh, I think that Shira might be a spy from Darth Vader. Send her to you know. Who That's cares? a crazy idea. What's crazy talk? Now, I, no. now the version the version I'm reading is the the reprints. I didn't want to feel like, I didn't feel like digging out the issue. I was too lazy. So I'm reading from from the Star Wars a long time ago trades volume 4. How's and the in mine, oh, it's I mean these are the ones that were recolored, you know, that, that are yeah. that they're that they're printing the omnibuses from. So you'll see this in a couple issue, uh, omnibuses, but I'm I'm anxious go- too, yeah. It's gorgeous. And actually I want to ask you guys in the original in, in the original coloring on this page where Chewie's face to face with Pliff, in, in mine, Pliff is pink. Is Pliff pink in yours, or is he white? Yeah, he, he's, he's pinched pink, pink yeah. Yes. Okay, all right. Because yep. I was like, that threw me when I saw that. <laughs> no, he's, yeah, the... like, he's like white, but the highlights on him are pink, which basically says that he's pink, you know? Yeah, gotcha. The... Now, I want to know what everybody thinks of the Slivolith, because I've always thought that's a great name, and I really like the design, too. I think he looks really cool. Well, isn't there some Dungeons and Dragons Lovecraftian monster called the Shibboleth or something like that? It, it sounds like some some Dungeons and Dragons. Isn't that a shamble or is like more like a, the words more like shamble or something? Something like that. Some sort of satanic creature from the the pits of hell. You got me on that one, dude. But. Well, I, I agree. I dig the creature. I think it's got a cool sort of manta ray look because it's got the yeah. the weird things that jut out on each side of its eyes and the open kind of gaping mouth looking thing. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It looks really great. And uh, I'd like to – well, go ahead and I'll point out something else. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, as I was reading this one, you know, you got forest planet, speeder bikes, cute little furry allies – 
you uh-huh. know, is this sounding very familiar to anybody? <laughs> I mean, look at page, uh, as I'm counting the pages here, you go to... And and really, it's it's Leia who makes the special relationship with the with the one of them. That's you know, right. She does That's right. Empire. You know, Michelini was really plugged in because remember he wrote the Tarkin story and it was originally going to be a Death Star. That's right. You know? right. And then he then he writes this story that's sort of an Endor you know excursion. It's like he right. he was really plugged in. He knew we what he was doing. We need to get him on. Yeah, we need to get his <laughs> ass on here. I mean, you look at page thirteen as I'm I'm looking at just for convenience. I'm looking at the. Um, CBR, even though I've got the paper comic right here in front of me. I'm looking at the CBR. Page 13, as you count in the CBR. All right, first panel is... Uh, What's going on on that page? Because I'm looking in my uh, trade paperback. Yeah, It's Leia with her macro binoculars hiding in the bushes, and she and Pliff are looking at the mouth of the cave. you got C-3PO standing in the background. They're looking at the cave and trying to figure out a way to draw out the enemy. All right? Yep. And then you've got, you know, as they set their plan into motion, their newfound allies suddenly bolt and run off. And she's like, hey, where are you guys going? I mean, this is right out of Return of the Jedi. Well, look at the layout of looking through the binoculars and the cave entrance being sort of like the entrance to the bunker. Bunker. yeah, Yeah, bunker. It's it's I mean. And the way, and like, even the level that all the ferns are sort of hanging out at, yeah, it's very, yeah, very, very similar. Uh, and uh, one uh, wonders. I'm going to take you off tangent for just a second to point out my favorite thing on this page. Bottom left-hand panel with all the hoojibs going shree, shree, shree. My favorite is um, Pliff sticking his tongue out. Tongue whether out, that's yeah. in, Whether that's intentional <laughs> or not, he's, he's definitely going. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I love that. I really do love that. And then, and then the next page, it's <laughs> well, now you know the difference between their their noises. <laughs> Three is a taunt, and ye means holy shit. It's too I bad noticed. that they couldn't use any of their advanced weapons against that monster. I mean, you know, they couldn't defend the Hujibs because, oh yeah, the Hujibs were the ones that drained their weapons in the first place. Oh, let's go back a page or two for that. By the way, go back to the page where um, it's right after the. The whatever the fuck it's called, Lilith has shown up, and the guy who comes up, and we learned it from the from the audio book that his name is uh, Gemmer. Gemmer talks to Leia and says, "Bert and I were on guard when the Hojubes hit Princess. Our blasters still work." And, and she even says, "Right here, then stop talking, man, and get out of the way." I mean, why didn't he just fucking shoot? Yeah, right. rather than yammering away to Leia, you know, it's like, "Hey, Leia, I'm gonna do this unnecessary exposition." Blah blah blah, blah blah blah. She's like, "They're your up. friends. You shoot them." Exactly. <laughs> Shut up. Give me the gun, you dumbass. So I couldn't tell who did it, but while we were listening to this together, one of you guys laughed. And granted, it is done. It, it does sound much funnier in the in the. Uh, adaptation, but in the comic, my absolute favorite moment of this entire story, favorite panel, is Leia just really unleashing with that very cool, very Stormtrooper-esque looking... It reminds me of the Stormtrooper blaster toy I had when I was a kid. Yeah. That panel of her going, put that hoojib down! I love that <laughs> That's great! Yeah. <laughs> That's I good really stuff. do like that. Yeah. Fakow! <laughs> Sriracha! 
Yeah, it's That's too what... bad. Like I said, they couldn't help the Hoojas because some other creatures in the middle of the night drained all of their weapons. <laughs> Don't blame and, then, and, then, and then Leia, you know, just like laughs it off. It's like, oh, this equipment that was really expensive and that is conducive to our survival. You guys ate it. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> it was I an understand. accident, I'm sure. And like they're like, no, we did it on purpose because we were hungry. They don't it's... say it was a mistake or anything. Like, but you guys are so cute. <laughs> Leia, we're we stranded here forever. Oh, they didn't mean it. Yes, we did. You didn't know what you were doing. No, we were hungry. Uh, we 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 planned on it. We figured we'd be really cute around you guys till you went to sleep. And I like Chow that on your robot's knee. She seems like really uh, forgiving about this. They damaged thousands of dollars worth of or thousands of Republic credits worth of equipment. (laughs) As a sucker for little Ah, furry, little furry creatures, you know, she's a sucker for the Ewoks too, you know. It's all stolen equipment anyway. (laughs) Exactly, and you know they're gonna get just a terrorist group. They're gonna get to recharge (laughs) at the end, so it's okay. She's a princess. It's easy come, easy go. She's a princess. so I do like that. Chewbacca, who loves Chewbacca yanking the slither yeah. whatever down and smashing the shit out of it? Yeah, well, I like after the page this where guy. he chucks him down there, and you see just the wreckage of it, and then there's a look on Chewie's face of just like you can almost see him doing that little head nod of that like so, you know? He's, like, yeah, he's even he, doing a hyphenated. To me, it's like damn straight. And he's got. Yeah, and you see Chewie with a bona fide Chewie look on his face. He doesn't look like Bigfoot. He doesn't look like... um, Sasquatch. Bionic Sasquatch. Yeah, what was that John Lithgow movie, Harry and the Hendersons, or anything (laughs) like that, you know? Bionic Sasquatch. You just made a $6 million man reference. I love that. Damn right I did. There is. There's there's one issue. I can't remember where it was, but early on when we started to review these, yes. there, was, there was an issue where Chewie, through the whole damn thing, looked like Bionic Sasquatch. He looked, he looked like the Patterson okay. creature from, the, from that black and white film. <laughs> <laughs> I used to... Oh, my God. This is such a tangent, but speaking I don't know of why. that... Do you remember when... I don't know if you were ever with us, Chris, but do you remember when me and Randy... We used to get on that blind curve right there by my grandparents' house sometimes in the middle exactly of the fucking right. night, and we'd stroll across the road. Oh, yeah. See headlights coming just, just enough to where they could probably oh, yeah. see an outline, and yeah. that would be it. In the middle of the woods, crossing the street, and I always wondered if anybody <laughs> reported a fucking Bigfoot sighting. No, dude, I, we did it in that. Remember, we would walk just like we would do that, like swing your arms and yeah, like, exactly. do that. Dum dum across the road. We used that. We used at the winter. That was where we used to just nail them with snowballs, and we could slide down that hill when they stopped. They couldn't really stop too good because it was on that huge. We we're lucky we didn't kill anybody. Anyway. <laughs> One thing wow. I liked about this story, like at the end, you know, when the Hujibs are saying that they can't be there, and they say, "Sorry, little guy, we've." like you a lot but we're tired of running and someone else says real tired and at the beginning of the book they're doing all this covert stuff about you know doing the coded signal because of the empire they're looking for the new base even though the empire is not in this story you can like feel their presence that this is you know the rebels they're not you know formulating a plan right now they're just trying to hide and get like a foothold you know and and I, i like 
I like this version of like the Rebel Alliance versus the Empire, where the rebels are just you know scattered into space, scattered in. Yeah, it's completely hopeless. Right. I mean, tech. they're just they're just trying to hide right now. And again, there's right. no stormtroopers, star destroyers, or any sign of the Empire in this story, but you can feel their presence. So I like that. They're a ragtag like this... fugitive fleet. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, I like that this whole thing. Moment. We're real tired of, of running. You know, you can you can you know see the wear and tear that it's had on the rebels. Yeah, I like this moment a lot because this this is the one moment that you know even with the big monster in there, I still feel like most of this issue is is it, it's almost like the trouble with Tribbles episode, but this is the one sinister moment of the whole thing where you do get that standoff now that you know their their common enemy has been destroyed where suddenly they realize they're at odds over this cave. I, I like that moment. I really do. You know, just that moment of tension that, you know, again, that was missing from the uh, from the adaptation. Right. You know, another thing I liked about this, too, is this is the start of, and maybe there was some of the earlier issues, I just don't recall them, but cliffhangers, uh, or even or teases, maybe is a better way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Issues. Setting I mean, up the next issue, yeah. I mean, this was a very Marvel Comics thing to do where you have a one-page tease of what's to come with a, with a little tiny cliffhanger, and you get a lot of those in the Michelini era. And that's probably because, you know, his experience writing Marvel Comics. But as a kid, I loved that because, you know, I just totally jazzed for the next issue. Yeah, I lo- and I love this last-page tease. It totally is Al Williamson looking. Yeah. You know, it totally reminds me of the art in... Right, uh, maybe it's because of the way they colored the clouds in Cloud City. I don't know how it is in the redone, but you know, in the redone, it's of... really colorful. There's uh, green, pink, purple, yellow. It's gorgeous. These are just sort of like in the in the original. It's just sort of a yellow sky with variations of red and pink and a little little green, yellowy sort of color. But it oh. totally has that Al Williamson. Yep. Look to oh. it. I love it. I want to back it up just a little bit because for for our listeners, you know that that heard the adaptation. This is a scene that that was left out of the adaptation. So, my last note before that part with Lando is I really like that it's basically like half of a splash page of the fleet coming in yeah. around Arbor. I love that shot. That is really really cool. Reminds me a lot of the last shot in uh, The Empire Strikes Back. I really like that yeah. with the big frigate and all that. Just turning that last page, though, we get the epilogue that we don't have in the adaptation is uh, Lando in the Falcon approaching Cloud City, and he pulls in, and he realizes that he hasn't been challenged the whole way in. There's no cl- cloud cars or anything like that. And he lands at what kind of looks like the same landing platform that they landed on in uh, in empire and he just says something's wrong here very wrong and he lands and after checking everything out there's this panel where he's standing next to a cloud car that looks like it's like the kitty ride version of cloud because it just doesn't look (laughs) yeah and he says uh everyone's gone the whole city's deserted but why i've got to find out or my curiosity is going to kill me and he's standing in this bay that looks like it you know, there's no handrails or anything, so we see this like sinister shadow coming up behind him, and uh, it, it looks like something you know could actually just push him right off or something like that. It looks that. like the human bullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. That's just or an airplane. Yeah, a commercial oh. airplane. 
It's this was yes. Don't don't spoil it for next episode though, guys. Which <laughs> this it was may, a really excited to land shark. Yeah. <laughs> this was well, exciting uh, for me because Cloud City was one of those locales I so wanted them to go back to because I was fascinated by Cloud City. I I just like the whole concept of it. You know, anything to do with futuristic style cities. I don't know what it is. It, it just always fires my imagination so this storyline coming up where you know they go back and explore cloud city and have adventures and battles there and stuff i'm look i'm looking forward to reading that again because man i like that stuff big time well um taking it if you don't mind i was going to take it back to the primary chunk of the story about um arbor um there was an interesting wizards of the coast you know published the star wars role-playing game most recently and Uh Back in, I don't know, like 2003 or 2004, they published some online content. And one of them was connected to the story. And uh, they it, there was some different pieces. There was an interesting article someone had written. It was supposedly Leia um, for giving a speech. It was basically a plea to the uh, representatives of the Alliance to admit Pliff as a representative for Arbra. So <laughs> she kind of – she sort of recaps this story – in, the, in this plea, but it's kind of a neat thing. But also then they go on in another area of that article talking about how the fleet was kept at Arbra after this. You know, we, you talked about this great shot of the fleet coming in. Well, they talked about how apparently a chunk of the fleet stayed in the atmosphere and was always on ready status. Oh, that's cool. It's a neat idea, yeah, that they kept one section of the fleet in orbit and hiding it. So they called it a temperate zone or something like that, so it couldn't be detected from from space and then the rest of it was in the cave and they were in the process of digging out more entrances to the cave so that if the first entrance was ever blocked they'd still be able to get out and it was just someone really took the time to think about this story from a strategic point of view and a you know tactical point of view and i was really impressed it was kind of neat so i think i sent you guys a link to it uh, i was just gonna say i was gonna ask if that was the thing you sent me today because unfortunately i didn't get a chance to read it yet but i I plan to because that did sound very interesting to me i love the the great lengths that are being taken by some fans to really pull in and embrace this uh, this Marvel stuff, especially the good stuff. But I, I've seen them even pull in some of the weirder, wackier stuff that we don't so much care for and still try to make that canon, too. So that's really I, I like that. I, I'm really glad that, you know, not everybody just, you know, dismisses it or, or laughs it off or whatever. Because I think there's a lot to love in here, and this is definitely one of those stories. For me, anyway. I I agree. I, I did something goofy a while back. Um, on the Dark Horse message boards, they were talking about Star Wars Legacy, and I know I think I'm the only one who's read it here. I, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there was a big mystery about who a certain character was. And this was hotly debated and everything, so I started a thread as a joke saying this character is identity revealed. And I made this big build-up about why it was going to be this person, and the big revelation was it was actually Pliff. And I mentioned <laughs> Pliff was pissed off because the Zeltons have returned from the Marvel comics, the Nagai have returned from the Marvel comics. You know, all these characters and races have come back from the Marvel comics, Lumia, but not the Hojibs. So I said it was Pliff, and he was, had turned evil and all this stuff. And I just put it out there as a gag. And John Ostringer, the guy who writes the Star Wars Legacy comic, and the editors all commented saying, "Uh oh, they you know they solved our Joe, they've solved our, uh-huh. our thing. We're gonna have to change everything now. Maybe we'll just make it Jason Solo." And um, <laughs> anyway, it was just clever, and it uh, it was nice to see other people like Bliff too. 
Legacy <laughs> is a big love letter to the Marvel comics because you do have the uh, Zoltrons or mm-hmm. Zeltrons, and uh, the wheel was in there too. Oh, was it really? I didn't. Ever, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the yeah. Nagai, the Nagai yeah. are in there. Yeah, yeah, the wheel. It's. I mean, that's you know that you you know you're getting pretty obscure when you put that stuff in. Yeah, I have noticed. I can't remember. I'll try to look it up later when we actually are introduced to the characters proper, but. Uh, the Zeltrons have made appearances in some of the Dark Horse material, but uh, the last note I had here was that the Hujibs are definitely here to stay because not only do they stick around for pretty much the entire rest of the Marvel Star Wars run, but uh, I don't know if any of you guys read um, those. There's little digest-sized Star Wars books coming out now. They're called Star Wars Adventures, and they're done in that yes. animated style, but they yes. take place with you know, with original trilogy characters. The very first one was called Han Solo in the Hollow Moon of Coria, I guess you pronounce it. And Hujibs are in that story at, at the very end of the story, which I got a major kick out of. I thought that was great to see them come back again. Yeah, they used them it was a, as a gag, but it was yeah. still, it was great. I mean, I, I was punching the air being like, woo, Hujibs! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the only other appearance I know of them um, was, uh, and I sent it to you guys earlier, was it was a greeting card that was produced in the 80s. Yeah. It, was, it was done by Bunny Carter for drawing board greeting cards, and it said, hope this special day is full of wonder for you. And um, it has a, it's like a little painting of R2, and they're not exactly hoojibs, but they're they're definitely somebody's interpretation. Of, well, you know what, they're hoojibs. There's no way around They're hoojibs. They yeah. might yeah, be they're... little baby hoojibs or something. Yeah. So it's somebody's interpretation of the Hujibs, and it was a greeting card. They reprinted it in the Star Wars Galaxy Tops trading card set in '93. Um, that's where I've seen it. But uh, beyond that, I, I think that was it. I mean, you know, Pl- like you said, Pliff, Pliff kind of became Luke's sidekick, really. Yeah, I mean, he, he did. Uh, sort of, you know, when R2 wasn't around, he, he, they used Pliff as his, you know, someone to talk to through the adventure for the for the audience. I would have I love loved that. to to see them find a way to to bring the Hujibs into uh, Jedi somehow. And I know that might sound a little bit crazy, but I mean, think about it. I mean, we ended up getting General Grievous. You know, he came out of the 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 what do you call it macro micro series and you know became a character in. Uh, episode three you know why couldn't the hujibs have been like in the background or something i, I think they planned grievous for episode three before oh the yeah I, series but i know but still i i think i i think that they were beloved i don't know whether they would have fit because you already have the ewoks it would have been you know kind of saturated unless like you know you saw it well i mean i'm thinking even in admiral akbar's briefing like they would have been out of place because that was just like a room full of humans yeah, a couple of hoojibs sitting on shoulders would have been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that would have been, been a nice. It would have, it would have been out of place though, because if it was a bunch of aliens and humans, then yeah. But then like it would have just been humans well, and hoojibs. Well, that's the thing about the the like the prequels too. Is the prequels have wherever you go, there's all kinds of aliens everywhere. But in the original trilogy, you really didn't have like you would have your Akbars and stuff. But you just didn't have that humanoids. Yeah. yeah, you just didn't have that weird assortment of creatures all the time because it was just too impractical and expensive to build them all. They would have had to, you know, design all the hujib 
special effects, but that's not saying they couldn't still CG in some. Why not, you know? Should, I, I, think... I wish they'd just take out that second second musical piece from Jedi and put some hoot in. <laughs> I like the Yup Yup song. The only place I see the uh, no, I mean the Jedi Rock song or yeah. whatever it is. Ooh, yeah. the, the one no, the, no, 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 the, the only place I could see the Hoojibs working, at least other than a, a cute nod, which would be like sitting on somebody's shoulder, would be either, you know, in further comics, in the Dark Horse comics, obviously they work at that capacity, or maybe the Clone Wars cartoon. Because I, I, I think it, it needs I think it needs to be animation of some sort, drawing or mm-hmm. in motion. I don't think a live action thing would work well, especially with the telepathy. No, but with uh, Clone Wars they could have hundreds of hoojibs hopping around yep. and stuff and it would be and it would be totally plausible to do. Yep, those are the only places that. I could see it working would be in animation or comics. I don't see it working in a live action film. I don't see it working in a in a novel. I don't see it working, you know, in other areas. It's it, animation would be pretty cool. I think a lot of the more serious cop Star Wars fans will just see the hoojibs as a little too silly though and you know, I, I can't see a lot of the other, you know, non-Marvel fans embracing them. I mean, even I, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, the silly stuff. But even, you know, me, this, like, I don't want to say it crosses a line, but it's, you know, it is borderline a little ridiculous. The little psychic jibs and their magic cave of crystals that give your ships unlimited energy. And yet the I mean, third episode of season three is going to be centered around Jar Jar, so... Well, yeah, I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't say that it's not Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars has a silly side. It does, you know. And there, everything that I just mentioned, you can find something just as ridiculous in the movies. But I'm sorry, Shag. What were you saying? Well, I was just gonna tell you you're wrong. Um, I mean, they're, they're silly. <laughs> they're sort of silly in this episode issue. But beyond that, then they just become supporting characters. Then they're just another alien in another shape in another form that help out. You know. So I, I really, their, their silliness, I think, is only limited to this one issue. Beyond that, they're just another ally who looks different. Um, that's how I'm I sorry. I just I I just don't see them as silly. I you know, I I see them as uh, I I guess maybe their their basic appearance could be seen as maybe a little bit silly or a little bit cutesy. But I, I love these little guys. I really do. I think the the cuteness is the the selling point with them because they were underestimated they were underestimated because they look like you know funny little bunnies you know but they turn yep. out to be highly intelligent and and capable little creatures so i i like that i think that's part of the appeal of this particular story you know much like the ewoks you know could you know you, you could argue the same thing they were cute little teddy bears but piss them off and they were powerful enough to take down you know a technologically superior force so i I like that aspect and i like these guys a hell of a lot more than i like the ewoks i agree with that too the ewoks are just (laughs) fucking stupid i'm sorry you can't put you can't put fidgets in a suit to make hoojibs you can with an ewok right no denying that but i think the hoojibs are just uh they work better They, they have more intelligence they're more 
interactive. I just I think they work better than the Ewoks, but yeah, they wouldn't work in a live action film, especially in '83. At that time, yeah, especially. All right, so next time around, we'll be looking at uh, Star Wars issue number uh, 56, the debut of probably my favorite expanded universe character ever. So be there. Aloha. But before we go, oh. we must cover the Hostess Twinkies ad in this comic because it is one of the weirdest, most bizarre things you'll ever hear. So this is Captain Marvel in flea bargain so the world's largest flea market on a peaceful afternoon suddenly what the is that oh grief it's the giant flea market eating flea he's devoured the english town flea market last month that's captain marvel can he save us doing doing he does our stuff He's taking our stuff off our stands without even bargaining. Knock it off. He's trying to help. Look, Captain Marvel's building a trap. Yeah, but what's going to make the flea fall for the trap? Doing, doing. With the help of these golden hostess Twinkie cakes, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. These Twinkies cakes are irresistible. The light golden sponge cake filling and cream filling are delicious. We're saved! Thanks to some ingenious flea bargaining. Get it? Get it? Get it? In these hostess Twinkies cups. <laughs> you get a big delight in every bite of hostess Twinkie cake. Oh my god, is this what? Just... <laughs> Oh, I thought God. fleas were attracted to the smell of blood. <laughs> not, not you see, it was a double meaning because flea bargaining could also refer to the bargaining at a flea market. But this was Captain Marvel bargaining with the flea. Hence the oh. double meaning. Oh. It's so clever and ironic. Just like a bite of a hostess Twinkie cake. Oh, I would love this. That ad. Captain Marvel collared that flea. <laughs> Hostess and Twinkies are a registered trademark of Continental Baking Company. Copyright 1981, Continental Baking Company. I would actually love this if he, if the flea really was like attracted to, like if he had the the woman down and was just sucking like, her into I'm like a skeleton <sighs> with with oh skin on it, like in the Spider versus the Earth. That would be excellent. Hold on a second, my house is on fire, so I'll be right back. Oh, no. Holy shit. <laughs> it's a small fire. I'll be right back, though. You seem quite calm about that. <laughs> it can't be too bad, yeah. He's, or either that or he's the calmest motherfucker I hope you're recording, because that might be a podcast first right there. I did. I am recording, actually. actually. It's sort of like a snuff film with podcasts, but it's uh, an arson thing. It's going to be like the Blair Witch Project, exactly. <laughs> we need to... I don't hear any fire... Guys, guys. Yeah. Okay, the fire's out. My house is. Oh. Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can, can hear, hear you. You wow. okay? We can hear your fire alarm. Uh, yeah, uh, the fire's out. My house is full with smoke. I'm trying to clear the house from smoke. So give me a little bit. Dude. What was it? A cooking? Uh, yeah, oven fire yeah, or something? Oven fire. Dude, yeah. Just do what let, you gotta let, do for let me, you, buddy. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's it, the smoke's clearing. So I'll, I'll be right back. He he is the calmest mo- calmest motherfucker. He is. He All right. Must be um, on some good shit. What's the? Hey, I'm alive, what, by the way. Thank 
God, you, you okay, pal? What I mean? <laughs> you burn a pizza? This is the funniest that? thing that's ever happened to me during a podcast. <laughs> now, somebody left something in my oven, apparently, and when I went to preheat my oven, there was, like, a oh. in there, and, you know, like, I heard the noises while we were talking, and I could oh, see the I smoke. Oh, I missed a perfect, that's what she said joke, too, with the, somebody left something in my oven, completely missed it, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I'll dub it in. I open it, and, like, there's flames everywhere, and I'm, like, trying to put it out, and I'm, like, okay, let me just, like, I guess the, the rational thing to do is to, you know... Ignore the fire in my house. Go back to the computer and say, "Hey guys, let me take care of this fire. I'll be right back." <laughs> <laughs> now I'm th I'm thinking that because I turn the oven off, it'll die down, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, no, that's not how fire works at all." So like, no, actually, sometimes it actually flares up a little bit when you do that. So I took a glass of water and I actually poured it into the oven, and like it made the fire get bigger for a second. Right. And, like, one of my Star Wars a long time ago trades was, like, in my kitchen, and I was like, don't you dare catch on fire. Uh, the, tra <laughs> the trade survived. And then the fire went out, but there's smoke everywhere, so I'm, like, opening... So I was opening all my windows and doors and, like, turning my air on full. Oh, jeez. So... <laughs> Okay. So it, it and and Scott, you know, and Scott and Chris, feel free to do whatever you want, you know, with the audio of me and the fire. It's uh, oh, don't worry, <laughs> we, we, we've got a plan already. Yeah, we've it's all on that. tape. <laughs> yeah, so if, yeah, feel free to use that however you see fit. It, damn hoojibs! Oh, <laughs> don't blame the hoojibs. <laughs> Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com. 
where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. 
I'm a podcaster first and a burn victim second. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, if 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 you if you would have got burned up in the fire, it would have been a podcast, and we would have been like, I don't, I assume you would have wanted it that way, right? Like airing it, we would have been like on the Today Show being interviewed, you know. So he died while you were recording. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing, and he would have wanted exactly. it that. He would have wanted us to broadcast exactly. It. I'm not a burn victim, but and I play you one know in what a he, podcast. And I would hope that the last thing you would yell out would be. No. <laughs> no, no! I hate you! Yeah, it's gotta be, I hate you! I hate you! <laughs> I sense that Tony is in great peril. <laughs> how did the episode... And then it would be, then it would be like, Bertoni, Bertoni's back, he's on our show, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> yes, my man. Well, so do you have... How did the Fujubes episode go? Is it all right? It appears in your absence no. they switched it to iCarly. No. <laughs> no. See, I was going to go with, like, if you're in an apartment, if you're on the second floor, you have the high ground, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> That's it. We should do a Star Trek Star Wars fan film where Christopher Pike gets all cut up and the Emperor comes and, like, Fits him into his, <laughs> fits him into his into his thing, and then he just sits there going. But we got, but we gotta like sort of try to James Earl Jones the boops so that they're really deep and resonant, like boop. <laughs> so wrong. Uh, I just imagine Pike right. in that funky chair with the Darth Vader, Darth Vader helmet on his head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bring us back in. <laughs> That's the All best right. commercial break ever. Well, <laughs> since you've been gone. <laughs> hey, we're back and. We're just uh, fixing to get a little Star you know, Wars Marvel Comics no action going you. here. What? <laughs> what? What did I do? You know I hate it when you do that. That's all right. Keep going. What? Say fit? Say fixing? No. Or, or hey. Say, hey. Hello and welcome to the Star Wars podcast. Right. <laughs> hey, I'm, Ro I'm Rocket Chris, and here we go. I'm Doctor Rocco. And I'm here with the beast. We've got all the hits from the Marvel series from the 1980s. Let's take it away. Check out this clip of Obi-Wan Kenobi farting. <laughs> oh, wow. That stinks. <laughs> here with anyway. Scott and Chris in the morning. <laughs> Scott and Chris in the morning. Two True Freaks Radio. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm always angry before I get my so coffee. So, Scott, let's talk about boobs. Jack, show us your boobs. Anyway. All right, I'll start us up again, man. <laughs> I, you're not keeping Welcome all that? To <laughs> <laughs> it's the best ever. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 24, Part B. I'm Chris Honeywell. Passing it on to Scott Gardner. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> ass. We'll introduce the next section appropriately. <laughs> uh, all right. 